Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Did you have to use, like, a cobra clutch on him to get him to go to sleep, or? Pretty much, yeah, it was one of those nights. (laughs) Just an all-around stressful night, and then at the end he's like, okay, then I'll just stay up late. I'm like, no, no, no. Stressful nights go to bed early. <laughs> Why did he think he got to stay up late? I, he just decides he gets to. I don't know. So he's in that phase. He's starting to tell you what to do. Yeah, he's... I don't know. For some reason today, he decided it's Rebellion Day. I don't know why. He's just like... <laughs> I don't, I don't I don't understand how children's brains work. Somebody at school just tell him, like, if you just say no, he's not going to really do anything about it. That might be all it is. It might just literally be that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there's really nothing your parents can do, right? Like, they, what are they going to do? Like, they take away your electronics, then you're going to be annoying them the whole time. What other, what other weapons do they have? And you're like, well, shit, he's kind of right. <laughs> <laughs> friend of mine I used to work with her brother went into the army and her their dad was in the army so he basically just gave his son the lowdown like look there's not really much they can do to you so when you go through basic training like if you just don't do shit I mean you're gonna have to like clean and shit but I mean they're not gonna like kick you out or just like beat the shit out of you or anything. So they told him to do like pushups and he got like halfway through whatever they told him to do. And he just stopped and he's like, I'm tired. I can't do anymore. They're like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, I I, I can't do any more pushups. Eventually they had to pull him aside and tell him to stop it because he's making the other recruits start to rebel as well. Yeah. And at any other point in my life, I'd have been on his side of that story. But now I'm like, I can't believe that guy did that to those poor drill sergeants. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Hmm. Do anything fun this week, Noah? No. Did you find a house yet? Closing on the house on Friday. And then you're double mortgaging it until you get the other one sold? Yeah, pretty much. 
That's not good. The good news is the the one mortgage is super cheap. Yeah. The bad news is this one is not. <laughs> so you're gonna have to take like a side job to pay for both of them till you get a soul. No, I think I can afford it all. All right. Say, or you make Shar do like two jobs. Yeah, that's the that's the fair thing to do. (laughs) How does that work? Is she able to just move with her job? Well, she's going to work her job until the first, which is when my insurance kicks in, and then she's going to quit her job so that I can put her on my insurance and she's going to move. And I think, I think her plans to take like a month or two off and then find something. Nice. I wish my insurance kicked in that fast. Mine didn't kick in for six goddamn months. Really? Six months is crazy. That's what I thought too. It's like, what the fuck? Mine's supposed to be, it's supposed to be 60 days, but my 60th day is like the 17th of the month, and it doesn't go into effect until your next pay period, which happens to fall like the day that the pay period rolls over, so it would roll over to the first anyway, and that's when open enrollment is, so. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah, my work had a bunch of problems with mine because they fucked something up. And then they were just going to give me other insurance, not through the company they used for everybody else. And just uh, let me pay the same amount I was supposed to pay. Um, and then it turns out they're like, because uh, they had missed an uh, enrollment window or something. I don't know. They're not very organized there. Um, but then it turned out the divorce worked in my favor because they labeled that as a life-changing event and were able to, like, force them to give me insurance because of it. It was a very strange scenario. Good. Good, good high energy show, guys. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm not sure how much I have to contribute to this insurance conversation. Yeah, I know. Fuck you. You get free insurance. <laughs> Fuck off. That's not true. I'm sure he has cheap supplementary insurance <laughs> to cover the little windfalls that he doesn't. <sighs> yeah, I, I have insurance through my work, but I don't. Other than when I take my kid to the dentist, I don't think I've ever actually put in a claim against my actual, my own insurance. Yeah, fuck you, Doug. I use my insurance on a monthly basis. Technically on a weekly basis, now that I'm doing therapy. I actually have mild concerns because, so I refilled my medications right before I quit my job. Mm-hmm. And my medications are on a 90 day cycle. And since mm-hmm. I was supposed to get insurance after 60 days, that seems like that mass should be fine. Right. Mm, should be, but somehow I'm running out of all my pills. 
Addict. And, and I'm not, yeah. well, I'm not exactly sure how that works. I think you're taking too many pills. Well, no, because I mean, the opposite's kind of true. I'll be honest. I'm not the best with uh, not missing medication occasionally. But I should have a month's worth left, and instead I have a couple weeks worth left, and I was like, mm, looks like I'm going to be half-pilling it for a week until that insurance <laughs> kicks in. Sorry, one of mine ran out. Like, the day after our... Or the, yeah, I was told the day after I had no insurance by the ex-wife. Because, you know, that's great. And uh, I was like, oh, I was going to get a refill tomorrow, so this is great timing. And I'm just like, well... It's not one that's like keeping me alive or anything, so I'll just uh, just go a couple weeks without it. And then, of course, my insurance is getting all jacked up. So now it's been a couple weeks and about a, another week, so three weeks. So, yeah, <sighs> I don't know. Positivity. So this week's pre-show banter is lacking. It's so disappointing. I was going to say, you know what? This is this is so depressing for I think how positive we're all going to be on these movies. We better be. I mean, spo- uh, spoiler alert: one of these movies is kind of a deal breaker. Like it could be the end of the podcast if you guys have uh oh. If you guys, if you guys are wrong enough about it, because I will tell you, I liked one of these movies better than the other. But by definition, that has to be true. The likelihood of you enjoying them both the exact same amount is. I'm just saying, I thought I was one was say, I, drastically better. I, like, I didn't say the other movie was bad, but the other movie was drastically better. I agree. One of these movies is drastically better. I have a feeling we're I have a feeling we're about to disagree on which one's which, but. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine that's true. If that's if that's true, I'd be very upset. Yeah. Uh, well, Noah, since you're the big Trekkie, why don't you uh, give us the rundown of Galaxy Quest? Yeah. So, Galaxy Quest is um, a movie about the cast of a Star Trek esque TV show. Who now it's been off the air for quite a while, and they're doing the convention circuit and kids' birthday parties and all that kind of crap, and they're all miserable. Uh, they are approached by a group of people who turn out to be real aliens. The real aliens have based their entire technological society on episodes of the TV show that they believe are historic documents. Uh, and our crew are taken into space and forced to basically take their actual roles and fight an alien menace. Uh, starring everybody. Every fucking person is in this movie. Starring a bunch it's... of people before they were famous, too. Right. But the, the main cast is people who were famous, and I don't understand yeah. how they put it together. Right. Like, I don't, when you say the concept of like Three Amigos, but it's Star Trek, and then how do you get like Alan Rickman on board for that and Sigourney Weaver? And, you know, keeping in mind it's like 1999, like the geeks hadn't taken over the world yet. 
like in today's to say, society, and calling it, makes... it calling it three amigos, I feel like doesn't do as justice. It's it's an ensemble cast on fucking steroids. Well, it's yeah, it's more than three amigos, but it's the three amigos concept, just applied to Star Trek instead of old silent films. Yeah, because what we've got Scorny Weaver, Tim Allen. Tony motherfucking Shaloub. Uh, Rain Wilson is one of the aliens. Yep. Fucking, I, I do believe, and I'm not 100%, I think there's a cameo by Sam Lloyd as one of the aliens, too. Who's Sam Lloyd? Sam Lloyd is uh, Christopher Lloyd's... Oh, what is he? I don't think it's his brother. I think it's his cousin, maybe. He played Ted the Lawyer on the show Scrubs, and he does like an acapella singing group. He's hmm. super talented and really, really fucking funny. I didn't realize he was related to Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. I mean, they even kind of look alike once you know about it. Well, as soon as you say it, I can kind of see it, but I had no idea. Yeah, I still don't know who that is, but that's cool. You didn't watch Scrubs? No. Everybody talks about Scrubs a lot. I, I don't ever remember it being popular when it was actually on the air. I don't understand how I missed it. Ne- nephew. Sam Sam Lloyd was his nephew. He just he just died like a year or two ago. Cancer. It's just when we stop, stop the depressing talk and move on to the fun talk. Noah has to bring us back down. You know what I mean. But I don't know. Who else is in this? Help me, guys. There's so many. Uh, Justin Long has a pretty big role in it before anybody knew who he was. Yeah, he he would have been completely unheard of at the time, I would think. I don't know. I think after this movie, he would have been known as, hey, you're that guy on Galaxy Quest. I'm trying to think of like when I first heard of him. And I can't. Dodgeball was really the first one for me. Yeah, he Uh, did some like comedies before that, but they weren't as they weren't really hits, you know? I mean, I think technically in Dodgeball, I recognized him as the guy from Jeepers Creepers. That's, yeah. that's what I was going to say. He was Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. Dude, me. Yeah. But Dodgeball would have been the first time I was like, hey, that guy. But this might have yeah, been. I mean, that sounds Creepers, about right. right. This is pre Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. This is like 99. Jeepers Creepers was 2001, I think. So. I also may have known him as the guy from. Uh, uh, he was in some movie where a bunch of kids this. went like happy campers. Wasn't he? He was in a movie where all the kids like made their own college or something. I don't remember. Except, yeah, but that's way except, later. Uh, yeah, that was way later. Jonah Hill's with him. Was in it? That. Okay. Yeah, it looks like it looks like Galaxy Quest. This was his first acting role. Okay. Really? So this is the first time watched for me, so yeah. So Justin Long came in hard. Yeah, so I wouldn't have recognized him from anything, I guess. Anyway, but uh, I also knew him as one of the talking heads in those. Um, I love the eighties. I love the seventies. Well, he was the. Uh, he was like the Apple computer guy or whatever, right? That's yeah, what he would have been known for in '99, I think. No, because I think those were after, after that. You know what's you know what's great about that 
is I fucking love Justin Long and I love fucking John Hodgman. And those commercials are just <laughs> Justin Long and John Hodgman. Anyways, yeah, it's it's a it's it's he's he plays the role of like um, well, we're making fun of Trekkies pretty hard here. We better throw him a bone. So let's make it seem like being a super fan is actually a useful thing. <laughs> Just kind of fun, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the following year he was on that TV show Ed with um, his face, Henry Kamenow. Something. We're getting deep into the career of Justin Long here for some reason. Hey, you know, he's still up and working. He's still good. Yeah. No, there's, there's nothing wrong with Justin Long. I'm just not sure why he's the main focus of our discussion of this movie. Because we're trying to place where he was in his career for yeah. some reason, even though we've already come up with that this was his first role. Yeah. I, I was going to say, this is definitely the movie that I care for uh, Tim Allen the most out of his entire career. Say this is the only movie like Tim Allen in, which yeah, I guess spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! I did really enjoy this movie. Yeah, I mean the the movie's great. I don't think anybody's gonna argue otherwise. Uh, For the yeah, record, if we're doing our favorite Tim Allen roles, mine is Big Trouble. So yeah, I haven't seen that since theaters. I'd have to rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say this this movie. It just like I don't know. It's got great pacing it's funny it's i i think it's approachable enough that if you're not into star trek and shit you could laugh and have a good time watching it and if you are into star trek and shit it's got enough of those insider baseball references that you're like hey, hey, hey i get that you know what i mean oh i, I definitely think yeah, it's, if you're a trekkie this show this is right for you but i don't think you have to be right so because I'm not really, oh, like, yeah. I know of Star Trek, but I'm not a big, huge fan of it or anything. But I think I still pick yeah, up on some s- things, and I'm assuming other people pick up on even more. I was going to say, we skipped What's-His-Face, which I feel bad about. Uh, Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Yeah, that was, he was going to be my next one, but then we, we yeah. hovered over Justin Long for too long. <laughs> I <laughs> forgot. The, the idea of fucking Sam Rockwell in this movie playing a dude who died in one random episode and gets sucked into the adventure is so fucking great. Well, yeah, I, I love when they're about to go down to the uh, planet at one point because they're looking for fuel or whatever. And then he's like, um, I can't go. <laughs> I know how this goes. This is too much like the real show. And they're all looking at him like he's crazy. And he's like, no, you guys don't understand. Like, this is how it works. He, he doesn't use the term red shirt, but that's what he means, right? Oh, totally. It's, well, yeah, it's, he's, it's I really funny. He's screaming at him all. He's like, what's my last name? Tell me what my last name is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because at the beginning, it's he's a, he's funny right from the get go because he's introducing them all at that convention, and then he goes up to talk to them after, and they're like, "Oh, thanks for the nice introduction." And he's like, "Oh, you guys don't remember me? I was on this one episode in season two or whatever," and they're all looking at him like, "Yeah, no, yeah, we remember you. Good to see you again." <laughs> you remember? Like, I died five minutes in. I got killed by a lava monster. <laughs> Because it Which, reminds me of like those people you see at conventions who were in one movie 25 years ago and are still signing copies of that poster because they don't want to go get a real job, but they couldn't quite make it as actors. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Uh, which to bring it all in a weird circle, uh, Sam Rockwell apparently 
was in uh, the movie Clown House, which is the movie that Victor Salva directed, where he molested some kid on the set. Okay, well, like, why why are so, we bringing that up? Because we have to. We don't actually. We could go a whole I, episode I without did discussing pedophilia. I didn't either because I've never seen the movie because I have no reason to watch that. But I, I didn't even know the name of the movie. I don't want to know the name of the movie. I'm not sure why we're discussing it. Let's move on. Okay, we'll move on. One year later, he would play head thug in the <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. See that? I remember. And then it was a rocket ship to stardom after that. Yep. I remember him Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the show. So, yeah, I remember him from a movie called Glory Days. That's D A Z E, and it came out in oh, 1995. 1995. It is. It's when all those like indie bullshit yeah, stuff coming comedies. out. So it's yeah. him, uh, Ben Affleck, uh, Alyssa Milano. And French Stewart. That's quite the cast. In a college movie together. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Matthew McConaughey makes a cameo in it. <laughs> just just so you guys know, I was right. That is that is Sam Lloyd randomly in the background as one of the aliens. Yes. Yeah. We were concentrating so much on the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, big role for Missy Pyle in this movie. Who's that? She's the female um, alien. The one that falls in love with Tony Shalhoub? Yeah. Okay. She'd go on to do a bunch of movies. To... Uh, maybe I didn't recognize her because of the makeup or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, There's yeah. uh, D- Daryl Mitchell, who... I know he's had a career, but for some reason, the only movie I can think of remembering him from is Sergeant Bilko. That's not nice. <laughs> it would have been better to say I'm not sure what he was in. <laughs> I think one of the interesting things about the movie is that it portrays the TV show as sort of schlocky and low budget, which... Mm-hmm. Fair. Plays on the Star Trekness of it, yeah. But then I like that when they actually do get to space, like the bad guy and like all those aliens look great, especially for 1999. Oh yeah, the special effects, the whole movie looks really good. Um, like the makeup effects and the special effects. The only, I would say, yeah. the only thing that hasn't aged well is probably the rock monster. It still looks good for 1999 CGI, but it doesn't yeah. look as. That doesn't look good by today's standards, but that's not fair, right? Yeah, Rock Monster doesn't look great in the initial scene of when Tim Allen's character is on that teleporter and the whole thing opens up. That looks a lot like uh, one of those weird green screen video game sequences where they edited in an actual person on top of a (laughs) CGI background, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because that's probably what it is. Um, yeah, there's a couple of moments like that, but you can't blame the movie for being of its era. Most of it looks really good. I do love. What I really like about the movie. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I I love this idea because th- there's a ton of themes in this movie. I mean, we could probably get pretty deep into the weeds on it, but one of the things is that uh, 
the, the journey mimics the TV show. So all of the things that they're calling out at the beginning for being ridiculous, like all feed into it. Yeah. They do Especially, that, they do you know, Sigourney Weaver bitching about the fact that she's, you know, her shirt's all ripped open and she's a sex object. And by the end of it, her shirt's all ripped open and her tits are hanging out. Yeah. Well, I like when she um, she keeps saying, like, my job is just to repeat whatever the computer says. And then she's doing that during the ship. And at some point, somebody else is like, that's really annoying. And she's like, that's all I have to do. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> which I actually I, I would say I found that to be unfair because I don't think the original Star Trek is guilty of that particularly. Like, I think uh, what's her name? O'Hara is a strong character who, you know, was portrayed that way and wasn't okay. Yeah. She wore a skirt on the deck, but come on, it was the sixties. Um, she, she became a stronger character as they made more episodes, but she very much was just in the corner and would occasionally say one line. Okay. But fair enough. As the show went along, she definitely progressed and they allowed her, you know, to be a real character in a way that, um, it's not fair to attack Star Trek for that in the long yeah. run. I mean, I do. I, I also love the uh, the call out of the fact that Tony Shalhoub's character is like supposed to be fucking Chinese for some reason. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. No, me yeah, I mean, his name is Sergeant Chen in the show. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> like and they pointed out a bunch of times, but he talks like a stoner through the whole thing. <laughs> Just, I don't know. The whole thing is great. And Alan Rickman's character. I love <laughs> convinced that I he's actually Alan that type of alien. So he's just having a shit time. But I, I love Alan Rickman's performance in this movie. Like those opening scenes where he's just like super pissed at Tim Allen's character for, you know, being a hotshot who doesn't show up on time and stuff. And he obviously hates being there and they have to convince him to go out on stage. And it, you get the impression that they have to every time that every time he's at a convention, he's like, that's it. I'm storming off. I'm never doing this again. And every time they're like, come on, we all need these jobs. Like just fucking do it. And then he's like, fine, I'll do it. But this is the last time. And you can tell it happens every time they're at a convention. I love all that stuff. I love, love the performance. There's the frustration in his face, the whole movie, every time they go to feed him and they've made something that's specific for his alien race that he's in a costume of. And he's just like, fuck. I like that. Uh, for some reason, even after they tell them that they're not, that they're just pretending. Mm -hmm. He still never takes like the head, the headpiece off. <laughs> that would have been like the moment. That would have been how you explain it to them. Like I'm just yeah. a person. Like, but no, they don't go there. That yeah, moment was actually really. It was really sad when they were explaining to that alien that they were actors and he like didn't get it. And he's like, so you lied? Like we've just learned about this concept of lying, and you're telling me you did it? And they're like, yeah, but. Not really like we, we didn't mean it like it's you know what i mean it's so awkward but i think that one of the things this movie does really well is it while being campy and funny it manages to have those kind of real moments and it makes the action feel real and the drama feel real when it wants to well and it's got like a, like i said it's got all these it, it's a it can be a pretty shallow movie but it's also got a lot of deeper themes running through it like the idea of do you owe your fans something? Which is kind of, which 
you do. I mean, that's that's the truth that because that kind of stuff matters to people and you at least owe them to not shit all over your own thing. Yeah, because I, I, I like as I'm not really a Star Trek guy, but I grew up loving Star Wars and I get pretty frustrated when I see like Harrison Ford doing the like people ask him a question about Star Wars and he just goes, I don't care. And I'm like, I know you don't, but do you have to say it? And do you have to say it in that tone? Yeah, yeah. Do you have to be such an asshole about it? Yeah, like, could you could you not just acknowledge that, you know, even if you're not the biggest fan of these movies, you created something that is iconic to people and respect that? And I think that's where I think, yeah, like like what you're saying is like, yes, you do owe something back. You, you know, it's... With great power comes great responsibility applies to the actors in the role as well as the characters sometimes. And it's like, yeah, you chose to be a part of this. You you have people now who respect it and you don't get to shit on it. Especially if they're paying you to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. And if you're Tony Shalhoub, you fuck a horrible octopus alien. <laughs> <laughs> they can shapeshift. In front, in front of Sam Brockwell for some reason. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, it's what happens when you're a red shirt. Nobody gives a shit about I, you enough to know you're in the room. Sam Brockwell's best moment in the whole movie is when they go down to the rock alien planet and all of the little aliens come out of the mine. And they're like, oh, they look like little children in 70s. Like, no, stay here. And they're like, why? They're so small. And he's like, no, they're going to be mean. And vicious, and there's going to be a lot more of them than you think there are. Have you never seen this show before? <laughs> and then, of course, he's 100% right. <laughs> Sam Rockwell's always great in everything he's in. He, he really knows how to elevate these smaller roles because he, he just dedicates himself to them, right? Yeah. He's like he he knows his job here is background character, but he makes sure he shines in that role. Makes him the best. Watch Iron Man two again. Best background character he can possibly be. Yeah. Yeah, he's great in Iron Man two. He's he's great in everything because even when he has to play the straight man, he's an awesome actor. Like, you ever see Matchstick Man, where he's playing opposite uh, Nick Cage? I'm not. I have not. I didn't even realize he was in that. So, yeah. So now maybe that that's going to sway me to watch it probably. Yeah, you should. It's a good movie. But to be discussed another day. <laughs> that's, that's the one about He's, con artists, right? Yep. Yeah. And him, him and Nick Cage are partners, but Nick Cage is going. He's being Nick Cage in it, right? So. Sam Rockwell has to play it down and play it like a really kind of the straight man. And he does a really good job. That was my point is it's a completely different thing. It's not big and over the top like this movie or like Iron Man, but he's still good at it. Yeah. And I know, so I know this movie has like cult classic status and all that kind of stuff, but damn, it doesn't feel like this movie should be way more mainstream. I don't understand why everyone doesn't fucking love this movie. I mean, at the end of the day, because it came out at a time when geek properties hadn't taken over yet. If, the, if a movie like this were made now, it'd be huge. But uh, in 1999, like 
this was still nerd stuff that people didn't want to see. Honestly, I'm I'm surprised they haven't announced Galaxy Quest 2. Maybe Tim Allen being a douche maybe has kept people from doing it. Oh, yeah, that's a good Damn it, Tim Allen. But I guess he did get a Santa Claus series on Disney Plus. I don't know. Yeah. Except that burns bridges. Tim Allen keeps think, saying that he's being canceled, but he also keeps having a TV show on the air constantly. Like for a guy, for a guy who's like, who's constantly the victim, who's constantly being told he's not allowed to do what he wants to do and no one will treat him right. It's like, but don't you have like, when you add it all up, like 25 years of television series plus a successful film career behind you? I don't understand well, what he's complaining about. I was going to say, and the, and the problem is they keep being like, okay, Tim. I know your politics burned a bunch of bridges, but we're going to put you back on TV. All you have to do is, you know, be likable. And he's like, okay, but I'm also going to inject a bunch of my fucking politics into this. And it's like, ah, God fucking damn it. Oh, I never saw the Santa Claus series. I probably won't ever see it. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's not as overt as last man standing. Last man standing is a bit just shy of propaganda. The thing with Last Man Standing is it he, they failed at I think he was trying to make propaganda, but he's not good at it. He kept ending up making himself like the butt of the joke. And I'm like, I don't think you're like, I think you're you've made this in a way where you're not convincing anyone who's not 100 percent on your side already. Everybody else is going to be laughing at you, not with you. I wonder if he thought he was doing like an, a modern Archie Bunker that's what I was getting ready to say. I, yeah, he was trying to be modern day dumb. Archie Bunker, but he's too dumb to realize that Archie Bunker wasn't the fucking hero of the story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yep. And that's, and I think that's what happened with last man standing is it ends up coming across as though the more for, progressive characters are always teaching him lessons. And it's like, yeah, that's what we've been telling you is that you should listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, so I'm not sure if that was like intentional or not, but no, but come on, guys. You don't understand. He's the last man standing. He's the only one who doesn't yeah. subscribe to the leftist woke agenda. Okay, but then, then, they, then they kept proving him wrong like every episode, or at least every episode I watched. <sighs> so let's get back to talking about how great Tony Shalhoub is. <laughs> I like Tony Shalhoub, man. I like Explain Tony Shalhoub. Your- Explain your love of Tony Shalhoub to me, because I really don't. I don't get it. I don't understand. What? He's just great. He's great I, in everything. And he's such a likable motherfucker. I've seen him in this, and I think he's in 13 Ghosts, which I haven't watched in a long time. And that's about it. The show so. Monk? Did you not watch Monk? No. God damn it, Doug. I didn't watch Monk either. God damn it, Brian. But I did enjoy him on Wings. <laughs> Wings totally oh, yeah. launched Tony Shalhoub's career. <laughs> I mean, it did. Help that okay. one guy get his his starring role in The Shining, which was key. I don't really remember Wings very well. If anyone's wondering, so are we doing Shalhoub September this year? No. <laughs> How? What if you just gonna watch Wings and Monk? No. Crack all them Shalhoub movies up. Yeah, he's been in more stuff. All right. Just 13 ghosts over and over again. (laughs) 
Um, I don't know. This is a weird discussion uh, where we've just gone into a deep dive on every actor and barely discussed the movie. Right? Now, what are the themes? Do you you said you saw a whole bunch of themes and you've told us about a couple. What are the other ones? Well, it's got so it's got to do with that. It's got to do with art mimicking life, and then it's got to do with like art versus artist. How how much are you responsible for the things you create? How responsible are are fans of a thing? When it comes down to it, you know, do you owe the actors anything yep. in return for, you know, what they owe you for creating the thing in the first place? Just, I don't know, it's fascinating. I, I, I love the movie more and more every time I see it. I think maybe it gets a little less funny, but there's a little more to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I pick up on as many of these themes as you do. I like when you say them, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. I can understand that. But I don't know when I'm watching the movie if they really come through to me. It just comes across as a, a comedy film. Like I say, I, I respect that it's a, a very well made film and that the action works and mixes well with the comedy, which is hard to pull off. So credit to the director for that. And, you know, a lot of the subtleties of the characters like the actors having to learn how to mimic themselves kind of thing is fun to watch. I think all the performances are good. I think it's well-written. There's not really, other than, I don't think it's fair to criticize. One of the criticisms of science fiction and horror subgenres is always treatment of women, and I don't think that's fair. And I think they lean into that with the Sigourney Weaver character in this movie, and I don't. That's not a fair criticism of the thing they're parodying, so they shouldn't be including it. But other than that, I don't have anything negative to say about the movie. You said first time watch for you, Brian? Yeah. So you don't you don't feel women and were marginalized in the like early sixties like sci fi shows? How many early sixties sci fi shows? I, in Star Trek, no, I don't think that's necessarily fair. I think they went out of their way to not marginalize people in the long run. So you can probably find instances, like Noah says, if you watched all the episodes in order, that you notice O'Hara's okay. character growing. I don't know that that's true, but because I, I haven't sat and watched them all. But I, I, I think sometimes in their effort to uh, Gene Roddenberry liked this the kind of '60s idea of sexual liberation, and I think his attempts to inject it into it sometimes come off a little uh, gross. In occasion, like, so in Star Trek The Next Generation, I think they tried to overcorrect on that because they were like, well, no, we're going to keep all the sexuality, but we're also going to hypersexualize men in this weird uh, libertine sexual society. So, you know, you have Riker running around half naked half the time with his exposed... <laughs> Hairy chest, <laughs> fucking, fucking his way into destroying the universe. I'm gonna fuck all intelligent life. Well, that was mostly Kirk's mission, right? <laughs> yeah, but but like I said, it, it was. I think I do think Star Trek is generally the exception to the rule. But that's because they went out of their way to make a uh, like a true 
utopian society yeah. is they, what they, they went, were going for. They went out, out of their way to be inclusive at a time when nobody else was inclusive. And I think that that's why I think I'm bothered by the idea that they're being attack, ta- attacked as if they didn't, as if they were part of the problem. And they're not. Yeah. And it's and it's one of the things, one of the reasons why. So I I still like the new stuff they're putting out. I just can't get into it the same way, because part part of the show was that idea of utopia. You know how how do we resolve problems when all of the real problems have been solved? And instead, in the new stuff, they're like, no fucking war, and it's like, no god damn it, fuck that shit. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I really liked it. I don't know. I'm kind of annoyed that it took me this long to watch it. Honestly, this is I, only I was going to say you should be a little ashamed. Only, only the second time I've seen it. So, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I was just not into Star Trek. Like I watched some Next Generation back in the day, but that's because we had four TV channels and you just had to watch whatever was on. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't really watch Star Trek that much, but eh, why not? I think that's probably why I didn't see it when it was new, was because I'm like, oh, it's a parody of Star Trek, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not into that. You know what I mean? I'll watch Spaceballs again because that's a parody of something I'm into. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although, that, although that's the perfect it, analogy. It it appears to me that parodies of Star Trek seem to just fucking work. <laughs> It does seem that way. It's I, weird. Because the two I major to... ones were this and Orville, and both of them fucking slayed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they our, don't go the full. Our... They don't go like the full Spaceballs route, whereas, like, you know, just an over the top parody. They're just like, oh, what if, what if all the actors from Star Trek really had to be their characters from Star Trek? What would happen? I feel like they do come up with good concepts that then end up working because they're not necessarily making fun of uh, the, they're not making fun of sort of the heart of something. They're just making fun of sort of the weird fandom that kind of grew up around it. But then they're like, yeah, but then let's tell like a legit, like Star Trek esque story. Right, right. Playing with the tropes without looking good. down your nose at people. Yeah. yeah. Good good parody isn't making fun of something. It's no. having fun with it. And there's a difference, and it's hard to walk that line. But like probably the best parody film of all time is Shaun of the Dead, which is almost just a remake of Dawn of the Dead, just told with a slightly more comedic tint, right? But it hits a lot of the same points and has a lot of fun in it without ever making you feel like that you're being made fun of as a, a fan of the genre. And I think that maybe part of because of when Galaxy Quest came out was maybe that was part of maybe Star Trek fans didn't see it because they thought they were going to get made fun of and didn't realize that it was going to be it was going to be something made for them, not to make fun of them. Yeah, I was I was going to say, I think the other thing that I really, you know, on rewatches, I've come to more and more appreciate is the idea of the the alien race the uh, what were they called the thermalins or whatever? I, 
uh, the, the octopus aliens that are the the good yeah. guys. Yeah. Uh, that they are basically surrogates of uh, children is an audience, which is which is just such a cool idea. Hmm. Yeah, the idea that they watch these things and just wholeheartedly believe it because they don't understand the concept of dishonesty is really but, it's really nice. Yeah, and and the fact that it has like this huge impact on you. Yep. When you view it from that pure standpoint. Yeah. It, and I think, yeah, in some ways too, a lot of the people who maybe would have been making this movie or were the prime audience for this movie would be the kind of people who saw Star Trek as a kid and just were wholly engrossed by it and were just like mesmerized and then looking back on that, looking back on it as an adult and seeing and remembering that perspective that you would have had is it's an interesting way to kind of put that perspective into the movie to have characters who saw it that same way. Yeah, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> Everyone listening, if you haven't seen this movie, please, dear God, watch <laughs> this movie. Uh, one of the jokes that I really enjoyed is that. Uh, so they recreated the ship from the TV show for this crew. Yeah. And they did it so well that it even has all the obnoxious contraptions in the belly of it that have no reason to be there other than the <laughs> obstacles at one point that they even for real have to run through to get to a certain part of the ship. It's the best. That that may be one of the best jokes in the whole movie. Whenever they're running the obstacle course, and Sigourney Weaver's character screams, "This show was so badly written." <laughs> <laughs> I I do like the insane idea that somehow they built the massive technological wonder super weapon without any description of it or any explanation of what it does. <laughs> right. I mean, the whole idea that they built these ships by watching TV shows, which clearly wouldn't have like the designs in them. Like they're just like the controls are based because they watched so closely. They saw where people's hands were going and stuff is ludicrous. It's absurd, but it's, you give but, the movie that. So then they take it that one step further and are like, also we built this giant weapon. Well, so we that's what it does. That's one of those deep cut reference things where I, I know for a fact, especially in the next generation and stuff, they had psychotically stripped uh, script supervisors that would do that kind of thing. So if you did certain hand motions on a keypad to do something, that was now how you did it. Yeah. And, and, uh, the the layout of the ship and the technology and stuff supposedly is all fairly scientifically accurate. Yeah, I know there's some stuff in Star Trek where they invented like, I don't know, they, they invented something and they just took a scientific word and then put stabilizer after it. And it's because scientists told them that it wouldn't be stable if you tried to do it that way. So they just have a creation that is <laughs> that takes care of that. And it's just a, it's right. just a magic thing that they invented to make it sound more scientifically accurate. Right. But supposedly, like even, you know, they talked about dilithium spheres and all that. Supposedly all that's real stuff. 
apparently. Yeah. It was to, to, to whatever extent where, you know, until some really clever BuzzFeed article can tell us what stuff was inaccurate. I'm not going to know. So yeah, I was, I should say real, real is in theoretically. Yeah. Real. Yeah. I don't think the original Star Trek can claim all that. I think it's a lot more just right. sciencey words to make it sound. Yeah, but I mean, they wrote, I, I know I had a friend who was a huge Trekkie and he actually had books that were huge, like encyclopedia thick volumes that were schematic breakdowns of the ships. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can get that for everything now. Yeah, they totally have it on the show. Around the movie, I mean. Yeah, right. Uh, they even have like a primitive form of Skype like we're using now to record this podcast. <laughs> I did. The, the dude popped up at the corner. I'm like, there's no way 1999 internet would allow that video to look that good. <laughs> Do you know what my favorite joke in the whole movie is? Is the one where he... Uh, when he, t- he basically tries to put the alien on hold when he's up on the big screen and Sigourney Weaver doesn't understand his hand gestures. So he doesn't, he like talks about how stupid the guy is when the guy can still hear him <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> as dumb as it is. It's my favorite joke in the whole movie. Cause I'm just like that. Just, just the social awkwardness of the moment. He said that was the kill it hand gesture. And she goes, no, that's the weird dead hand gesture. <laughs> I was agreeing with you. <laughs> Uh, every moment of this movie is gold I mean it's pretty good Uh, I did like Alan Rickman's character how he was just annoyed to be there pretty much the entire time Mm -hmm. and then the guy that he got really close to ends up dying and that just sets him off and he just goes like sort of crazy on the on the fucking aliens that are invading the ship. He goes full Rambo. Yeah, it's great. And I'm assuming he's like the Leonard Nimoy of the uh, group. That has a catchphrase that everybody knows and he's so fucking tired of talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) And he's annoyed with the lead of the uh, show (laughs) to the point that he doesn't want to be in the same room with him. It is. I wonder how, like, back in 1999, how many people even understood enough about William Shatner to understand what was going on in this movie. <laughs> yeah, because, like, clearly... looking shit up on the internet was not that easy back then. So you no. wouldn't even know if they, the fact that they didn't really like each other all that much. Well, and the fact that, like, like, Shatner is Shatner. I don't even know how to describe William Shatner other than to say that he's Shatner. He's well, Shatner, but... the thing I love about him is that I don't think he really gives a fuck about Star Trek, but he loves the fact that people love him for being in Star Trek. Oh, yeah, he loves he loves the attention he's getting. It's not as much as he loves the um, the, the actual reasons he's getting it. And I think that that's true to the Tim Allen character. They they bring that over perfectly where he's just, you know, he doesn't he doesn't know anything. Like when they start asking all the technical stuff, he's like, he doesn't have a clue. And he's showing up for gigs hungover. But he loves being the center of attention and loves the adoration he gets from his fans. That's like, I guess that's how I would describe Shatner. <laughs> Uh, 
All right. Well, anything else before we move on? No, I don't think so. Like I said, it's a huge recommend. I I know a lot of people haven't seen it, but man, they really should. Like I said, I only saw it for the first time this year. I think it came out. It was ahead of its time when it came out, and it just yeah. It would it would be a much more popular film if it came out today. Shit, I think it'd be a more po- if they put this back in theater and people saw the cast, they'd probably be like, "Oh fuck, shit, I'd go see that." It's just, people just assuming they've been de-aged. It's like, oh shit, that technology is really working. They'd be like, "Is that is that Dwight from the Office, the bowl cut?" <laughs> I very much feel like this is a movie you could almost like Rocky or Picture Show. It like if you played in theaters and had a bunch of fun, like gags you can do in the theater along with the movie i feel like people would love it oh yeah people like spring silly string and shit yeah that sounds that sounds really fun now i'm sad that that's not a thing that i can do (laughs) (laughs) all right well doug why don't you talk about the movie starring one of your favorite actors my name is bruce don't say it with that tone. Ask nicely. There's there's no tone. There's a tone, and I don't appreciate it. Hey, Doug, why don't you tell us about My Name is Bruce, please? <laughs> it's better. Uh, I don't know. My Name is Bruce is it's the same thing, except it's a small town being attacked by a Chinese uh, god of bean curd, and they go and get Bruce Campbell to fight him because the, this one kid is a super fan who has convinced the whole town that Bruce Campbell will be able to uh, take on this monster and at first he's reluctant and hesitant to do so but then he gets to know the town folk and learns a life lesson and goes back and saves the town it's not a plot heavy film it's it's just an excuse for bruce campbell to be bruce campbell for a while i can perfect i think the first thing we need to talk about is oh man there's just way too much yellow peril racism in this movie for being released in what 2007 yeah yeah but you have to remember it's 2007 at that point in time nobody was particularly racist against asians this is you know the the rate the racism against asians has only been it's a relatively new thing for our generation for this go-round of it obviously i know it existed heavily in the past i don't I don't know. The opening, one of the opening three lines of this movie is a song they're singing that contains the word Chinaman. <laughs> Which that is just not a great way to start. Yeah, I was not a fan of that being, <laughs> being in any of the movie. I don't know. I think the way it's played, though, it's clearly has no ill intent towards no, Asians. No, I yeah, I it's it's certainly not. It's certainly not politically correct, but I don't think they're advocating any kind of anti-Asian sentiment, or nor are they expecting people to believe that this is a fair representation of Asian culture I, at all. I 100% am with you on that, but at the same time, I think that if you showed this to a person of Asian descent and you were like, is that racist? They'd be like, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's real fucking racist. <laughs> no yeah. one's saying it's not racist. I'm saying it's funny. And that it's it's funny and racist, not racist and funny. That's all I'm saying. Um, don't uh, don't pick the uh, scene with Ted Raimi playing an Asian guy. 
scenes. He plays him in like three different scenes. He keeps saying stuff where he's using R's for L's and, uh, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. It's one of these. It's highly uncomfortable. In situation that we talked about the other week with uh, the the wrestling movie with uh, Billy Barty <laughs> yelling pejoratives. Because he's Billy Barty, so it's funny because it's Billy Barty yelling pejoratives. But it's also so awful that it upsets me. I think in, in the this interest movie, of I fairness, think I was in the exact same place. I was like, "Oh, it's Ted Raimi being funny. That's great." And then it's like, "Oh, wait, no, he's being funny, but it's super racist. So that's not good. But it's funny, but it's racist. So that's not good." But I would say, I would point this out. Number one is he's doing the thing where he plays multiple roles, so he has to be completely different in each role. Number two, he's just as racist against Italians as he is against. <laughs> I was going to bring up. Yeah, also, also you know, Italian racist. Yeah, now, like that is more specific to his character and doesn't really play out into the rest of the movie the way the Chinese stuff does. But uh, yeah. He's he's really just doing a Super Mario impression, playing the guy who paints the town sign. <laughs> also, also mildly bigoted against Hollywood agents. No, not mildly. <laughs> it's clearly like meant to be like a shot at them, and it's fun, and all of it is fun. Like it's I I, I don't know. There's something about the way it's done where it, there's an innocence to it that I'm just like, yeah, I know that technically that's racist, but I'm very comfortable laughing at it and having a good time. Yeah. That I think maybe my favorite moment in the whole movie is that when the sign painter gets killed and he like his last dying thing is he reaches over and changes the population sign to indicate one fewer person. I'm just like, there's just something about that because the whole movie, every time he's on screen, all he's doing is complaining about having to paint the sign. And he eventually installs that like flippy number thing because so many town folks are getting killed that he doesn't want to have to repaint it every day. And then he, when he has to crawl over there and, and change it, I'm just like, it's like his last act of defiance. I love it. Bean curd is a very popular Asian dish. <laughs> Thing so, is, I don't think I've ever I've definitely never eaten bean curd. I don't think I've ever seen bean curd anywhere. But in this movie, it's implied that it's just fucking everywhere. Like it's just kids are eating it in cars on the drive home from soccer practice and shit. Like, can you guys go to your grocery store and buy bean curd in a little thing like that, like a single serving bean curd? Yeah, it's just tofu. Uh, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen it. I've seen tofu. Usually, it it's tofu. made. Bean curd is tofu. Like, it's the same thing. Maybe they just label it different here, then. And people just buy, like, a single-serving package, rip the top off, and eat it like that. They don't, like, mold it into a shape to trick people into thinking it's meat. That's how I've always seen tofu used. That may be part of the joke, that nobody would actually just randomly eat a dish of bean curd for no reason. Okay. I don't know. And that's, that's, that's me not understanding if that's just something that people do that I'm unaware of, but. So taking it back to racist Ted Raimi, mm-hmm. uh, I was reading apparently, apparently I think it was Sam Raimi was supposed to play the agent. Okay. And then Ivan Raimi was supposed to play the sign guy. And both of them were busy working on Spider-Man 3, so they couldn't do it. So Ted, okay. just, of course, just did all of them. 
<laughs> because it's why way not? better. It's it as much as like obviously it would be a huge get to put Sam Raimi in your movie. Um, it's so much funnier having him play all three because it's so <laughs> obviously the same guy. <laughs> like even if you didn't know who Ted Raimi was, it'd be very clear that it's the same guy in three different roles. And knowing who he is makes it so much more fun. Like that's that's I absolutely love this movie. And what I love about it is it is just all one big inside joke. It's for us. You know what I mean? It's for a very specific group of people right. to sit back and enjoy. And I am that very specific group of people. So I'm just going to say, it's great that one of the conceits of the movie is what if Bruce Campbell was the piece of shit that he plays in movies? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, what if fucking like I, I, nobody else does this? Nobody else makes a whole movie where they play themselves and make themselves into being the biggest piece of shit whose life is utterly terrible in every imaginable way. Only Bruce Campbell would do this. It's amazing. I, I love the fact that he portrays himself as this loser who like gives booze to his dog and then later drinks it out of the dog bowl. He said. She said, you slept with the dog walker. And he goes, really? You're going to hold that against me? One mistake? <laughs> All of them. Really? You're going to hold that against me? 15 mistakes? <laughs> I love when he's arguing with the wife and she goes, you got into the dog bowl again, didn't you? Meaning he drinks alcohol out of the dog's dish so often that it's a thing his ex-wife recognizes. Oh, I know when you call me at this time of night that that's what you're doing. <laughs> oh, he's, he's just living in that airstream trailer and just fucking he's got that old tv but, and he gets so happy say, when he sees himself on it the wife says something along the lines of like even aside from the the drinking and the womanizing and the whoremongering and all that like the, my real problem with it all was the dishonesty or something. And then he goes, so the drinking and whoremongering was okay. <laughs> it's, you, can, you can just tell in his brain that he's thinking if I get back together, I can still drink and whoremonger as long as I'm honest about it. <laughs> he's almost like a character from it's always sunny in Philadelphia. That's how terrible he is. And I love it. <laughs> I love when he walks into the strip club to meet his agent because he meets his agent at strip clubs, which is already funny. But he walks in and he's like, thinks he's hot shit. And he like mouths off to the waitress and she's like, yeah, sit down and wait your turn. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> it's... Like when I was looking for this movie, I like I just searched YouTube to see if it would just happen to be on there. And uh, I just found clips of Bruce Campbell like at various press conferences and fucking like um, even doing like press for this movie. And this is how he acts when he's in a room full of his fans and they're asking him questions. And I don't know, like I've, I've always liked that he does that. There's something about the way he just plays himself up to be so, so much of a jerk that, you know, it's a show. <laughs> I don't know why he, he chooses to betray himself that way. Instead of trying to be like, all these people love me. I think I'll just make them all think I'm an asshole. <laughs> I don't know why he does that, but it's great. Yeah, he's got a funny sense of humor. Uh, so I did a uh, article on the movie Crime Wave that him and Sam did. Yeah. And he helped Sam do a lot of like the second unit shooting and whatever stuff. And they had to 
they had to shoot a scene looking over this bridge and the water had to be flowing, but unfortunately it was like wintertime, so it was like frozen. So they're like, ah, shit, we're going to have to throw some rocks down to break it up. And in his book, when he's talking about it, they're like throwing like big rocks trying to break the ice to get the water flowing so they could shoot the shoot whatever. And he said at some point, uh, I looked over the edge and I saw like a glove like floating down the river. And I was like, ah, look, some asshole lost his glove. And then he looked over and realized that it got caught on one of the rocks and it was his glove. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> God. He's he's just uh. I'll never get over I was at a saw him at a live event once and somebody he it was like a QA and I, like where I was sitting, he was on the other side of the stage and some guy asked him the question. The question was like, like why do you always play such like a a dirt ball in all these films and he looked at the guy square in his face and he goes yeah go fuck yourself and he turned around and he walked away but when he was walking back across the stage i could see his face and he was so happy to have told that guy to go fuck himself <laughs> it's just like and he like you could there's something about it where he knew that he it made him happy to say it and he knew that that fan had a story to tell the rest of his life bruce campbell told me to go fuck myself and that fan was for whatever reason going to be happy that that happened you know <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of a, a William Shatner thing or or like a Harrison Ford thing where when you ask them about their movies and they're like I don't fucking know when Bruce Campbell's like I don't fucking know all the details of this shit it's fun the way he does it like he's he's like look uh, thanks for caring but I, I don't <laughs> like it's <laughs> I, I love the fact that it, so I think it's like the second act of the movie essentially there's this running thing over and over where every time Bruce Campbell interacts with somebody, he pisses them off and walks off, and they'll go, yeah, in this movie you were in sucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's always obscure ones, too, and at one point yeah. it's like a little old lady, and at one point it's a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Some kid who's like, Gail's Navy sucked. I'm like, that kid wasn't even alive when that movie came out. But that's the joke, right? I mean, of if, course. They, yeah. if it was movies that everyone had seen, it wouldn't be funny. It's so much funnier because it's these obscure titles that, you know, I forget what the old lady says. She's like, you're the worst part of whatever movie. And it's like, oh, nailed it. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> I like how they keep asking him why he was in uh, that movie with Matthew Perry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like it's again, the running joke is that he thinks he's too good to be in a movie with Matthew Perry yet. He's doing all of these like B horror movies where he has to shoot in Bulgaria and shit. <laughs> it's like so funny. Uh, but yeah, I just, I love the portrayal of Bruce character, Bruce Campbell as himself in this, in this movie. It is just, it's so over the top and so much fun to watch when he like kicks that veteran in a wheelchair down, the, down a hill. <laughs> Cause the guy asks for a more up to date headshot when he gives him an autograph. I love that. He throws, he throws in the Bruce Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, apparently that, that was based on a real interaction you have with somebody. I'm assuming he did not kick them and roll them down, down the street. But, <laughs> I'm guessing, I'm guessing not. No, but somebody in a wheelchair was just kind of being super obnoxious about the autograph or whatever that they just got. Oh, 
I'm sure it happens a lot. <laughs> Gerald with it. There's a lot of a lot of it like that, that whole scene where he shows up and the, the kid's got like that shrine to him and he's like, it's a little weird, but kind of neat. And I'm sure that's kind of shit happens to him a lot. <laughs> like where it's just like, want, want to see my room where I keep all my Bruce Campbell collectibles? No, I don't want to go in there because I don't want to become one of the collectibles. Thanks. <laughs> like it's. <laughs> I love the I love the part where he wakes up and he's in the trunk of the kid's car and the kid asks him a question about a movie and he goes, oh, God. You're a fan. It's finally happened. <laughs> like, like he's been pre- preparing his whole life to be murdered by a random fan. It's, oh, okay. it's, it is so funny. Like it's so the whole movie is just one cheesy joke after another with about 80% of them just being the same joke that Bruce Campbell's an asshole. Like it's the running thing where every time that girl tries to be nice to him, he grabs her ass and she's like, move your hand. Like it's just every time it's like, he's, he's like trying so hard to make her like him. And then every time she just is right close to it, he, he's like, ah. <laughs> again, probably like not right to objectify women in that way. But I don't know. It has that has that innocence to it that makes it funny instead of terrible. Uh, here's your money. I don't need all that, but put a rain check on the sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. singing hooker that he gets that his agent sends to his trailer for it's so funny because the way that because when he walks into the strip club to meet the agent the agent's sitting with the girl and then she gets up and leaves and then like three scenes later she shows up at the trailer and she that was him arranging for a hooker to come for the guy's birthday (laughs) it's just so funny i love this movie really i can't tell no you can't tell Oh. This movie makes me happy in a way that very few things do. <laughs> it's just. I liked Bubba Hotep. Everyone liked Bubba Hotep. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, that's true. And I don't understand it. I don't know why, like, Bubba Hotep appeals to mainstream audiences, but other Bruce Campbell movies don't. A friend of mine doesn't like it. Really? Yeah, I don't really talk to him anymore, and that might be why. I, I was that's getting ready to say, did you cut him out of your life? Yeah, it was Randy from Drunken Zombie. What? He doesn't like Bubba Hotep. Well, Randy. See, because Bubba Hotep is that it is that one movie that like I know people who aren't really horror movie fans and stuff, but they see it because somebody recommends it to them and they like it. And I'm like, I don't really understand. Like, I I understand why I like it. I just don't understand the appeal it has to a mainstream audience. It seems right. like they would. It's so want that it's kind so genre specific. Yeah, it'd be like showing this movie to a mainstream audience and they're like, why is that guy an asshole? And I'm like, that's that's Bruce Campbell. Like, that's how he is. My uh, my nephew is 15. Mm-hmm. He's been getting more into like Elvis's music because he went and saw the Elvis movie. OK. And I was like, oh, you're listening to Elvis. I'm like, why is that? He's like, oh, I watched the movie and stuff. I'm like, oh, you watched the movie. Like, well, do I have a movie for you? <laughs> <laughs> I pulled up the trailer to Bubba Hotep and showed him, and he's like, 
why would they make this? I'm like, because it's the best movie ever. You need to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. We got to get Bubba Hotep on the list now. We did it already. Did we? We, we did this it, show for too long. We did an entire episode celebrating the entire life of Elvis. We released it on Elvis's oh, birthday. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. we, we watched John Carpenter's Elvis and then finished it off with Bubba Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I forgot we did that. That's and a pretty clever it, joke by our standards. <laughs> right. <laughs> One of the best double features we ever came up with. <sighs> Um, do you like the monster in this? I mean, it doesn't look good, but I still like it. Yeah. Well, but it, I was going to say my my problem, one of the problems that I have with this movie is that because it's the whole movie is a pastiche on bad movies and they're intentionally making a bad movie, which they succeed at doing, which kind of makes it a good movie, but still a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a little frustrating because I don't I sometimes I don't know how to process it. It's too meta for its own good. <laughs> it's it's so meta that it it throws you off because you're mad at it for being meta, but then you realize that that's what they want you to be mad about. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm glad it fucked with your head. You know, I think if the monster looked good, it. Like this movie isn't like the difference between this and Galaxy Quest is that this movie never takes that step of trying to be where Galaxy Quest, the action and the drama actually works. This movie never goes there. This movie is more of a Spaceballs type approach to parody. Uh, I'm sure the big difference is uh, budget as well. Well, that that is also a slight difference. Yes, <laughs> I, I feel that probably this had less budget. Did we talk about the scene where the kid gives Bruce Campbell this beautiful custom chainsaw that he built and like did all this work to? And Bruce makes this whole beautiful speech about how, you know, oh, you know, I've done a lot of monster fighting with chainsaws and blah, blah, blah. And you know what I've learned? They're too heavy. He just sets it down and walks off. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie... <laughs> Cost 1.5 billion or 1.5 million. I was gonna was, say, I think you're off. <laughs> we'll say 1.5 billion should look a lot better yep. than this. 1.5 million Galaxy Quest, 45 million. All right, and so you so can make this movie, you can make like 30. 30 my name is Bruce's <laughs> for, for one Galaxy Quest. But what I like about it is that when when Bruce Campbell is giving movie advice, he says, keep the budget at about a million and a half, get one big name actor, make sure the monster doesn't look too bad and go straight to DVD. You'll probably break even. And that's exactly what this movie is. This Fair is enough. one more guys joke that I didn't complete... know was a meta joke till right now. <laughs> right. Once again, in- infuriating how accurately meta it is. Uh, <laughs> now I forgot what I was getting ready to say. It's gone now. Uh, you started with do you think and then we didn't we didn't 
Right, well, I'll, I'll throw in a what about the part when so that Noah has time to recover his thought. But what about the part when he's trying to leave town and he runs and jumps in the back of that pickup truck and he's like, so long, suckers, you're out of here. And the truck drives like four places. And then he's like, what? And he realizes it's just driving across the little town. <laughs> it's so funny. Again, only because it's Bruce Campbell doing it. Is it funny? Anybody else doing that? I'd be like, that's a pretty stupid joke. But he manages to just make it because he's so sincere when he switches from his like, come on, you guys have got to give me a ride. And then he thinks he's got another way out. He's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> so long, you saps. And he's like, oh, shit. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Do, do you guys think the complete absence of this movie from any streaming platform is likely due to the uh, racism? No, I think well, it's just that. under the radar film. Because it's like a Dark Horse Films release, which is odd. Don't know yeah. if they ever released any other f- movies. Yeah, I think it's just one of those like under the radar movies that most people don't know this exists except for specific audiences. It's like our podcast in that way. Yeah. Like we're not on a bunch of streaming services, but it's not like nobody's avoiding putting us on there. They just don't know to do it. Technically we are on a bunch of streaming services. Just yeah, nobody cares to listen. Nobody nobody's downloading <laughs> from those. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. We're on one Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. Yeah, I was going to say that was actually a really bad example because we are definitely way more places than this movie. Oh, Dark Horse Entertainment did release a bunch of movies. All right, fair enough. It's pretty much any Dark Horse comic related thing they're involved with. I think it's um, a really specific time when this movie came out, too, though. 2007, things weren't going to streaming yet, right? Yeah. So, direct to DVD stuff. A lot of it, like a lot of that stuff will now show up for free on places like Tubi and all that, but it's taken forever to get there because there's no infrastructure in place to set those deals up and they just didn't know what they were doing, right? Yeah. Could be a music rights issue too, which I I don't remember them using a lot of known music in the movie. I don't think there's much at all. But I wonder if they're just like, oh, I don't even want to bother getting hold of whoever to clear stuff for... Just streaming you guys singing that song about yeah. Chinaman. Yeah. Um, and I'm sh- and this was back. I'm sure Bruce Campbell was like, look, I'll direct this. We'll put it out on DVD. I'll sell a bunch of them at conventions and yeah, that'll be good enough. But I mean, I think like, especially in a world post Ash versus evil dead, I think there's a market for this film now. Not like a not put it back in theaters and expect people to like go to it, but you know you don't want a Morbius situation on your hand. But I think if you had this, uh, if you were, if I was Tubi or the Roku channel or one of these free streaming services that just grab movies and put them up, I'd I'd want something like this on there. Like you know, make sure that because I think enough people have are familiar with Bruce Campbell as a character now that there's a, a real market for that. Yeah. Like in a world where they made a whole movie about Weird Al, how does this not at least get put on free streaming services? <laughs> uh, how does Bruce Campbell not do My Name is Bruce 2? Seems like it's about time. Yeah, I know. I I mean, it's it's too long. It should have been right away. There should be a series of these. There should be a whole franchise. Bruce Campbell is playing himself. Yeah. 
like he like because you would just the obvious sequel is there because he was on his way to Bulgaria to make the sequels to the film he was making in this film. And while he's there, then another monster shows up and he's the only one with any experience in fighting them now. So now he's learned his lessons and now he's going to go be the tough guy. As he gradually just transitions into Ash. Because <laughs> after after watching like uh, Ash versus Evil Dead and watching this, you're like, yeah, they are sort of just becoming one. Him <laughs> accidentally gets his hand cut off, and he's like, oh, not for real. God damn it! <laughs> Be amazing. All right. Well, seems like we're po- all three of us are positive on both of them. Yes. I do think I enjoyed Galaxy Quest a little bit more. I do like this movie, though. I think I think that is also correct. Uh, I think you're both wrong. In case you guys haven't noticed, I liked this movie more. What? This movie This movie is great, but Galaxy Quest is clearly a better written, better made film. Uh, the film said different objectives. So I think this film is better at doing what it does, and Galaxy Quest is better at doing what it does. But, it's just a question of but once which, again, which the, the intention was to make a bad movie. I don't know how you fail at that. Well, that they do a, it all the time. That is a self-fulfilling prophecy. All, no, no, they do it all the time. There's tons of movies out there that try to be so bad they're good and end up just being shitty, and nobody likes watching them. And this movie was having fun with that concept while at the same time making a movie that was really, really entertaining to watch. And it's just, it's so good. Like, you know, let's go look at other movies Bruce Campbell's in where he doesn't have as much creative control and tell me that it's easy to make a bad movie. Cave Alien 1 through 3. Those aren't real movies, are they? No. Okay. <laughs> you never know. Man. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod, or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, what did everybody watch? Uh, I watched Lockwood and Co. the entire series. (laughs) (laughs) What what is this? this Fairly short. So it's it's a Netflix series that's about, uh, in alternate history where an event happens and ghosts have started appearing all over the place. Um, if you get touched by a ghost, it like fucks you up permanently. It kind of puts you in a coma. And in order to fight ghosts, they have to train these paranormal researchers essentially to go out and, and fight ghosts. So it's kind of halfway between Ghostbusters and Harry Potter. Because the trick is only kids have the ability to see ghosts. As you get older, it gets weaker, and then you can't see ghosts anymore. Uh, it's an adaptation of a young adult series of novels, and it's about the quality 
and everything you would expect from a Netflix TV show that is an adaptation of, of a series of young adult novels. Um, it is me. It was created by uh, Joe Cornish, though. Who did Attack the Block? Yeah, I, it's. I haven't watched it yet, so I don't know if that's good or not. But I was listening to an interview he was doing on a podcast about it. It's not. It, it, I I would call it very mediocre. It's like it's not. It's not bad. It's just not great. And I think the people who would think it's great would think it's great for really dumb fucking reasons. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I said, Harry, Harry Potter plus Ghostbusters. You get this like the, the whole the whole premise of it is very young adult novel. So like ghosts are hurt by iron. So the way everybody handles it is by these paranormal guys all carry rapier swords and what does that mean oh they get in sword fights all the time and i was pointing out to my wife that that doesn't make any sense because if you were trained to fight ghosts which are disembodied things not carrying a weapon you would not train against other people using swords because that doesn't make any fucking sense so how are they all expert sword duelists <laughs> Unless, of course, they're all just attempting to murder each other on the street constantly, which makes this uh, would make it really dark. Yeah, I put it on my list, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't dissuade anybody from watching it. It's like I said, it's fine. It, I just don't think it's great. And then besides that, I'm just keeping rolling on my uh, Breaking Bad rewatch. Oh, we're yet still going. Uh, I just got through one of my favorite episodes, uh, The Fly, where there's a fly oh, loose in the meth lab and Brian Cranston like loses his fucking mind trying to kill the fly. <laughs> that episode pisses off so many people. But it's I was going to say a lot of a lot of people hate that episode. Yeah, really? A lot of people are wrong about things. They are. I just don't know why you would hate that episode. It's such a great episode. Uh, I think a lot of people feel it doesn't fit with the tone of the show, really. It's been a long time since I watched it, so I don't. See, but it, it, that, but. But it does fit. Like, so the whole idea is that he's, he's hyper fixating on a minor problem to distract himself from all the other shit he's fucked up. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. I just, I think I actually get a real kick out of other people not enjoying it because I think people who don't enjoy it don't enjoy, don't understand the show. Like they think the show is like an action show, which is not, it's so much deeper than that. It's not an action show. It's a meth show. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was getting at. But yeah, I don't know. It's It's good. Did I tell you guys that uh, one time my nephew, who's in the power, he's in his Power Rangers phase, especially like the, whatever the dinosaur version was. Okay. Um, 
So he's watching it and he's just going off about like, hey, do you know what that guy is? Do you know what he does? Blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, running up a billion miles an hour. And I'm just like, oh, my God. So then once when there was like kind of a lull and he was just sitting there not talking, I'm like, oh, my God. I was like, Vince, Vince, Vince. So there's this biology teacher and he got cancer. And so in order to make money for his family, he started making drugs. And then his... His old student Jesse starts helping him and they start and he was just bored out of his mind during the dis- this description. And I was like, yeah, see how much fun it is. <laughs> and he's never told me about Power Rangers since. That's, that's kind of horrible, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I mean you're you're terrible, but it's also it's also pretty funny. That child was trying to share his passion with you. I get it. I just don't need it for like three hours at a time. See, I'm the opposite. I would have been like, all right, what happened after Zygu Ranger? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's 35 seasons of Power Rangers I'm missing here. Makes you feel any better when my kid went through his Power Ranger phase, he would just run up and kick me all the time. So it does make me feel better. You'd What'd you watch, Doug? And... <laughs> yeah! <laughs> um, what did I watch? Oh, last week when we were on air, I promised I'd go see Infinity Pool. And you know me, if I say I'm going to see a movie. So. Sure. All right. I ended up sitting alone in a movie theater at midnight oh. on, a, on a Tuesday night or, or Wednesday <laughs> night or whatever it was. But you, you had to watch it by yourself? Yeah. Oof. Like literally by myself. Like at one point, I think the theater sent someone in to check if anyone was in the theater because they wanted to shut down and go home. And I ruined that their night. Their excuse to leave work early. (laughs) It was like in a it was like in a big full size theater too. It's the biggest room I've ever been in by myself. I think. Nice. Um, I, I I mean I liked the movie quite a bit. Um, you saw it, right, Brian? That's your. I sure did. Yeah. Really enjoyed. So. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know what it was about going in. So once I started watching it, like for people who don't know, it's basically about this couples on vacation in this some nondescript country, and they get into trouble, and they find out that in this country, if you get into any kind of trouble, you're basically put to death. But if you're rich enough, then you can just pay to have a clone of yourself made and the clone gets put to death and you're allowed to go on with your life. So basically rich people have no consequences and they end up, the guy ends up having this done to him. And the whole movie is about what it's like for rich people in one of these resort countries that basically can get away with murder. Literally. Um, and it, it it downward spirals from there. But uh, yeah, I mean, the performances are great. Um, and Mia Goth is really nailing it lately. <laughs> right? Um, fuck, that like, was the best couple so, of years ever. Like her performance in this movie, when she goes from like, because she meets the Skarsgård, whichever Skarsgård it is. and uh, Alex. Okay. You're not allowed to have more than one famous person in your family or I stop learning first names. <laughs> um, 
But I'm like, when she meets him and she's playing up like the Uber fan character, and then we later find out, like, just in a moment, she's like, yeah, I've never read your book. Like, this is this is all just a trick to get you into our little club. And she just switches into a completely different character. And it both performances are good, but they're completely different. And I really like it. And I really had a lot of fun watching her in the second half of the film where she's just acting completely crazy because that's what this has all been about the whole time anyway. Um, just, yeah, just great stuff. There's like, I don't know. It's it's not going to be a movie that's for everyone because it's random. It's it's. I mean, it's very much a Cronenberg film. The Cronenbergs are their own subgenre of filmmaking <laughs> at this point. That's and what was. Soon as like, the credits started, I turned to the, my two friends I was with, and I was like, "Well, you can tell that was directed by a Cronenberg." Yeah, and it's like, like it's weird because Brandon Cronenberg, because I guess the world he grew up in because of nepotism basically he you know didn't have to go through that low budget phase he got to go straight to making his more artsy horror films and i don't know he's he's good at it so what else do you want to say like it's 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 an example of nepotism working for society in general because he gets to do things like this that obviously he wouldn't get to do if he wasn't david cronenberg's son right um did you watch possessor yet no, that's the one of his yeah. I haven't seen yet. Yeah, so that was his last one. I really, I, I remember really enjoying that one too. It's it's like on my list of things to watch. I was originally I was going to watch it whenever we got around because I think his other movie is on his first movie is on our list, so I was going to watch it that week. But we'll see if I wait that long. Um, but yeah, no, Infinity Pool was was really good. It was not really what I expected. Um. And I really, I really like the ending, I guess. Like, I mean, I don't know, it's kind of a spoiler, but not really. If you haven't seen the movie, like at the end, when this is all said and done and they've been through all this crazy shit, basically he's on his way to the airport and all the other people are just like, they're like, all right, we're just going to go back to our lives now. And they're all acting like normal human beings. Again, all the craziness is just left behind. And they're all just like, well, we'll come back next year and go fucking nuts again on this place. And it, it kind of ends with him just going, fuck, like, I can't, like, if I go back now and go live my normal life, I'm one of these people. I don't want to be one of these people. And it just sort of ends with him going back to the resort by himself and sitting, like, sitting, he's literally, because there's a lot of talk throughout the movie about how it's, like, rainy season is coming and everybody has to leave, because otherwise you'd be stuck there through the whole rainy season. And he just has chosen to stick around, which logistically raises some questions about how he's going to pay for his room and whether the hotel will even stay open. But it's a, it's a really see, neat ending, I think. Yeah. See, I took the ending differently than you did. Oh, okay. So let's, let's hear your, just your interpretation. My interpretation was that he has become so enamored and addicted to what they were doing that he doesn't want to go home. He goes back. Oh, okay. to the, he goes back to the resort, and it's just like, well, it, even if everybody else is gone, at least I'm here to do it. Whatever, whatever that is, it is just sitting there in the rainstorm, just looking like there's nothing for me at home. I just want to do. I just want to live this lifestyle like pretty much forever now. I was listening to some other podcasts, and they pointed out there's a lot of this you could look at as like addiction. He's pretty much has become like addicted to all this stuff. 
And then when everybody else is like, oh, party's yeah. over. He's like, oh, no, I don't I don't want the party to be over. I'm just going to go sip on myself. Oh, that's look, look real sad. I, I, because, I, yeah. Yeah, I'll just look real sad because I just want to keep the party going. But there's nobody else to party with because everybody left. Yeah, I like that analogy. It, it almost turns the the villains of the film into the heroes where they're the ones who are just having a fun Saturday night and then we get to go home at the end of it. And he's yeah. the one that's like, you know, just going to be sitting there drinking by himself in the empty apartment <laughs> after the party's been over for two days. Yeah. All of a sudden he all of a sudden he goes from being the victim to being like he got sucked into their lifestyle, but they're all just moving on. I, I like that analogy a lot, actually. Mm. I hadn't I hadn't looked at it that way because I saw it as them. I saw the idea of them sucking him into this lifestyle, but I yeah. took, just be, I think a lot of it is just because he looks so sad and it's so rainy at the end that I took it as he doesn't really want to stay. He just doesn't want to go home. Yeah. Which I guess, I guess that still fits with what you're suggesting about addiction and all that is like, even if you know, like, I know it's not a good idea to do meth before I go to work, but I'm gonna, like, it's, <laughs> you know, um, like, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the oh, sadness right. of it, the sadness of addiction is that a lot of times people recognize that they're in a bad place and they don't know how to get out of it. And I guess you could, yeah. cause yeah, cause then, oh, that's interesting. Cause if you take that too, like the downward spiral starts as his like when he, when his wife wants to leave and he kind of tricks her into staying for a while longer. And we've, we've come to find out like basically he's staying because he can't find his passport and he can't go home without it. But we come to find out that he's hidden it. And so it is sort of like that, you know, he, he held her there for a while and eventually he chose his addiction over her. When it came time for her to leave, he didn't, he could have gone with her and didn't. Right. Yeah. So it cost him everything and he's still, Oh, I like that a lot. Now that's my interpretation of the film. Too. Forget <laughs> the stuff I was yeah. It's yeah. He's pulled into this lifestyle that he's not even really a part of. And even, I mean, technically doesn't belong in because he's not even rich. Like his wife is rich. Yeah. She mentions. It's like he's known right and because he's known he is offered this opportunity to be part of it because he is an author yeah. even though even though like they and and i like the the shallowness of they all want to be around him because he's this well-known author but they haven't even read nobody's read his book like they don't, yeah. they don't actually respect his work they just respect his celebrity yeah. um so yeah see now see the movie's deeper than i even gave it credit for <laughs> Yeah, it's real good. I was telling, I had a yeah. I had lunch with a friend of mine today, and he had not heard of it because um, he was asking me like articles I was working on because I'm actually working on one of like horror movies you should watch after watching Infinity Pool. So I told him he's like, "What's Infinity Pool?" And so I sort of gave him like a quick non-spoiler like, "Oh, it's directed by Cronenberg." <laughs> That's pretty much as far as I went. Settle in, yeah. And so I'm just like, look, if you want to go see it, I will totally go see it again. So you just let me know. So yeah, right. I had a great time. Now I want to, I want to watch it again now with my, with this new perspective. So I don't want to keep those kids at work late again, though. So I'll have to find another way to see it. <laughs> I have to wait till it comes to streaming. 
It's like it's like that super awkward thing where I'm leaving the theater and there's like I didn't even see a staff member and I'm like, is this closed? Did they just leave the lights on for me and everyone <laughs> left? <laughs> Although I think there's technically still an Avatar screening going on because there always is because they just run 24 hours a day now. <laughs> it never stops. They keep they keep showing me pictures of it and I keep not caring. <laughs> My not caring about Avatar is a fascinating level where I'm like, I every time I go to like where I'm thinking of going to the movies and I go to like, I pull out my phone and I search like the the like art house cinema and the mainstream cinema to see what's playing to see if I want to go see anything. And every time Avatar pops up, I get a little bit surprised because I keep forgetting it exists. I'm like, oh yeah, right. It's <laughs> probably one of the biggest things in the world right now, but I just, whatever. Sure. So then my other trip to the theater this week was to see uh, Knock at the Cabin. Mm. Do M. Night Shyamalan film. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. No? Um, it's not as subject to spoilers as most of his work is because it's not based on something original by him. It's based on a book. It's really good. I mean, the, I mean you've, the trailers kind of give away the premise of Dave Bautista and a couple other people show up at this family's cabin yeah yeah and i've actually read the book so oh have you okay so i don't know how accurate it is because i haven't read the book uh, but from yeah. what i from what i understand i listened to the author on podcast and he he did say that the ending is different so i still don't know how it's going to end but okay but otherwise yes yeah. but i mean really it's it's all about these people being held captive in here and sort of the question is floating around the whole time of is is this an insane conspiracy theory cult that has trapped them or is there an actual apocalypse happening? But I don't, I don't know how it plays in the book in the movie. I don't feel like it. It's very much of a question. There. Um, and the movie chooses to concentrate on the tension of like, what will the people do and concentrate on the, the characters and there's sort of an interesting idea of like what these people bring coming into it and how they interpret the events based on their own past experiences, which I enjoyed watching. And I, I don't know, I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's not, maybe not groundbreaking in any way, but it was a pretty tense thriller with good performances. They do um, like, it's I'm assuming this is from the book, but it's, it's a gay couple and they really use that well to develop character and storytelling in it. It's not just some like excuse to have like, you know, representation in film. Um, it's, it's really used well to inform the characters because one guy was the victim of like a gay bashing and he's way less trusting than the other guy in all this. And it's, it's really interesting to watch. So I'd be curious to see, like after you've seen it, maybe you can let me know what the ending of the book is and how it differs, so that I yeah have I don't an understanding of that. I don't one hundred percent remember. Um, yeah. Do you remember not super being super into the book when I read it? But oh, so okay. I'm still interested in checking the movie out just because Sam yeah. Knight and somehow in this world. 
Dave Batista has turned into the wrestler turned actor that I want to go see the most anytime he's in a movie. Well, because he delivers something different every time. That's oh, totally. I, totally. Like but it's just, it's weird. Like if you go back to like 2005 and you're like, would you rather see the rock in a movie, John Cena in a movie or Batista in a movie? Batista would be third on my list, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow well, yeah. he's number one now. It's because he's a real actor, and that's all it comes down to it, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's, like, he, you know, I think, I, I don't know how to say it. Like, he can do different things, whereas most of these guys are trying to be action stars. Batista can do that, but he can also be... Like in this movie, he's dead serious. There's virtually no action. Um, it's a very tense, character-driven thriller, and he's his performance is on par with everyone else in the movie, if not better. And he's basically the lead role. So he, he's being asked to do something that I haven't seen him really do before, but he does a great job of it. Yeah. Completely different from like the more comedic stuff he does in his comic book roles, you know? So, uh, it's it's a it's a recommend for me. I'm an M Night fan. I have been from the beginning. I never really turned on him because I never saw the happening. So, <laughs> I didn't see the happening, and then I didn't see some of the other like Airbender or whatever. I, I didn't see that one either. Like that uh, one was just just didn't appear appeal to me at all. The happening, I got I got warned about uh, a lot. Uh, <laughs> Ted then did I did. well ted doesn't like a lot of movies uh i did come back around uh and watched uh, the visit though and then thoroughly enjoyed the visit yep and i was like oh shit okay well now 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 it's it's i can i can take the 50 50 gamble now because i know he's not lost it so when, like when I look back and I, I think about how good the sixth sense is and how good Unbreakable yeah. is and how good Signs is, and then you're like you get to like the village and you're like it's not as good as those movies, but it's not bad. Like it's just it's just it I, suffered from I was going to say I I actually really like the village. No, yeah. I hate I hated the village. Look at with it. Look at okay, that's all the perspectives we've covered the entire spectrum yeah. of how you can feel about that movie. But I feel but, like yeah, I, I, I feel like it was because I guessed the twist in the first like five minutes. So yeah. then I sat there the whole time just mad because I knew what was going to happen. So that's why I didn't well, see. I don't know. See, I, I feel like I knew the twist well before it was revealed, and. I didn't care. That didn't affect my enjoyment of that film. It's been a while since I watched it. But yeah, like, I don't know. And then ever like since the visit came out, like I enjoyed um, all, all the unbreakable sequels. And I like, he's had a good second half to his career with only a couple of misses in the middle. And that airbender movie, I like, it was, I was never going to see that. So it didn't matter to me if it was a hit or a miss. I hear it's bad, but I don't care. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really like Glass all that much. Yeah, I liked it more than other people did. Anyways, but Knock at the Cabin, I, like I'd recommend it to people. I think it's if you're into that kind of a movie, then it you know it, the whole movie takes place pretty much in 
this inside this cabin where a group of four people is holding a group of three people hostage. If that, mm-hmm. if that appeals to you, then I would recommend it. If it doesn't, it, like, you know, if you think, Oh God, like that would be boring because they're not doing anything. It's like, well, you might get bored. I can't tell you. You know what I mean? It is a specific type of movie and mm. it's a slower burn and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, the, book, the book title, by the way, just for anybody that's curious, is actually uh, called The Cabin at the End of the World. Yeah, which is a much better title, by the way. I don't understand why that... I don't know why they changed that. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, what else did I watch this week? Oh, yeah. So, over the course of a couple of days, I watched... Uh, finally got around to Wakanda Forever. Oh yeah, I watched. Big, I watched the big, first. There was a big hubbub about this on the on our chat. Yeah, because I watched the first half of it, then like, and and this wasn't because the movie was bad. It was a, it was a planned decision of like I'm not going to sit and watch this for two hours and forty five minutes. So I watched the first half of it, then I left and went and saw Knock at the Cabin because <laughs> I needed a break from watching a movie. So I went and watched a movie. And then the next day after I watched My Name is Bruce, then I watched the second half of Wakanda Forever. But I I don't know, man. It I feel like there's too many storylines being forced into these movies. I think this I think there's like I, I didn't dislike the movie. It was good overall, but there's a really good two hour movie here. And they do a disservice to the film by making it two hours and 45 minutes and pushing in a bunch of other storylines that don't need to be there. And they're not helpful really in advancing this storyline. And they're not really like they're introducing the, what's her name? Ironheart character, but they kind of do a disservice by introducing her in such a quick way. And I feel like her character doesn't get like, I think she, is she getting her own show? Or she's showing up on some other show. I can't remember. But she's, she's getting her on Disney Plus show. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I don't. They introduce her in a, kind of a shallow way, and they, I, I just feel like, like if if you ask me what her primary um, characteristic is in this movie, in this movie, I'd say, well, she's a, she's a black girl, and they made her really smart because they wanted to have a really smart black girl, and that's not a good start for a character. I I was going to say, I think where they kind of fucked up with her is the initial design for her suit is such a good fucking idea. Cause it's the idea of, okay, here's somebody that's as smart as Tony Stark, but doesn't have his resources. So she's got this very DIY diesel punk kind of suit. And it looks cool. Um, and, and then, then they immediately aside. turn it into anime bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, no, like her building that suit, like her her building her own Iron Man suit with very limited resources is an interesting story that you could tell. And they they gloss over it because they want to insert her in this movie in a way that doesn't really fit and they don't have time to give her the story that she needs. So she becomes this uninteresting character. And I just don't, I don't know. Like we didn't, we don't need that. The, her whole introduction is like this weird thing too, because the, like, like the Wakandans go to get her because they, she's being threatened by the fish people, whatever 
we're not supposed to call them Atlanteans, so whatever we're supposed to call them, because um, that's clearly what they are. But it's like, okay, so the Wakandans go to get her because they, they're supposed to they're trying to protect her. And then for some reason, the FBI shows up. And as far as I can tell, the reason the FBI shows up is because there was a car chase scene in the first Black Panther. So some studio head was like, well, you got to have a car chase scene in this one then. So they do that. And then you get this this annoying thing where, what's her name, Siri, the Black Panther's sister from the other movie, who's going to become the new Black Panther in this movie. She's Shuri. like, Shuri, okay, I'm saying it wrong, which is a problem that they haven't created a character that I care enough about for me to remember her name. But like, she ends up taking on all these like action movie things because they want us to get ready for her to be the new Black Panther. But doesn't work like she was like and her character was interesting in the first movie where she was this super smart kind of behind the scenes person and it's like having her transition into this action character fine but having her i don't know steal a motorcycle and go on a car chase it just feels unnecessary and weird and shoehorned in and i i don't know i i i really think that if you just told the story of the the Wakandans meeting up with the Atlanteans and having their their this war because the Atlanteans are are concerned with Wakanda having exposed the concept of of the, of all their technology to the world. I think that that's enough. I, th- I don't think you needed all these other storylines, and therefore it just becomes sort of it, it falls into the territory of big dumb action movie. All the all the drama that could exist with Damore's backstory is just kind of brushed aside because it's in, in a mess of all this other stuff going on. Whereas like it's the way Killmonger was a super interesting villain in the first Black Panther. You could have had Namor be that guy as well. And instead he doesn't come across that way. And it's not like the actor's fault or the it's, it's the film he's in. That's the issue. <clears throat> yeah, the movie the movie for some reason has a lot of heavy lifting to do for the next phase of Marvel stuff. Yeah. And it already had a shit ton of heavy lifting to do from the emotional point of view, dealing with Chadwick Boseman's death and figuring all yeah. that out in the movie and then bring introducing Namor and stuff. Um so yeah, it does feel like they just they had too much going on. They should have aired it down. Just overstuffed. It's it's Age of Ultron all, all over again, you know. Um, and it's too bad because there is a. I think I think the stuff with Namor and Wakanda is interesting. I think there's an interesting story there. These two different cultures that were both um, in, basically in hiding forever. And one of them has exposed themselves and that has drawn the other one into the light against their will. That's an interesting conflict, right? And they don't really, they don't really explore it in an interesting way. And then just this excuse to have a battle at the end. And even the battle kind of just ends up being a draw (laughs) because Shiri convinces Namor to be nice. Like it's, (laughs) you know, uh, this giant climactic battle ends through the power of friendship and it's like okay and i get it we're in the mcu we had a giant climactic battle end with a dance-off once like things happen but <laughs> i find it very strange i don't know and not like i'm I, i'm also not a huge fan of the way they do action in these black panther movies i thought 
thought the first one was great in spite of the action, not because of it. So I found like when it when the action becomes more the focal point of the movie, then it's less interesting to me. Yeah. Jesus Christ, Noah. Jish. That was mad at me for bad mouth in the movie, so he's like slamming his mic. I don't know. So anyways, like I say, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. It was just, it was okay. Yeah. It's one of those ones, like I've seen it. I I would probably never watch it again. Yeah. No, like if I ever do a rewatch of the MCU start to finish again, although I don't know that that's even something I would try anymore. No. But like, like I wouldn't skip it because I didn't, you know what I mean? I would skip the last Thor movie in those circumstances. Um, but the idea of like going back to this one and just watching it as a standalone movie, I don't think I would do that. Yeah. So, but you know, it advanced the overall narrative enough that I feel like I'm glad I saw it once so that I'll know what's going on when other things start happening. There's still people, the people I'm friends with that don't watch the TV shows at all. Yeah. They get mad because they don't understand the movies. Oh, I, like, well, I can understand that frustration, but. <laughs> He's like, I had no idea what was going on in Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness. I'm like, oh, should have watched WandaVision. I told you that about a month before the movie came out, but you just went, nah, I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. Although, I mean, at the end of the day, if you went straight from, like, Endgame, where Wanda was super pissed off because they killed Vision, to, I guess you'd have to know about the kids, right? Yeah, it's all the stuff with the kids. They, they had yeah. no, no clue. He's like, like, who are these kids? Oh, yeah, she invented those in multiple universes. Strap in. Yep. Oh, well. Oh, Ant-Man's next. It will hopefully be a little bit more fun. And I want to say it'll be a little more straightforward. I haven't seen anything in it that implies that they're. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm really hoping it's good because I I feel like it's going to be good. Everything I've seen, I'm like, oh, yeah, excited for all this, but never know. Well, and the other two Ant-Man movies have been very good about they fit in the universe, but they're still their own contained stories. And hopefully they'll continue to do that because I I think they need to get back to that. Like the most beloved stories are are stories that work are sort of self-contained. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. With the exception of the run of like. Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. With the exception of that run, most of these stories work well when they're kind of their own thing, but still fit into the bigger universe, rather than trying to use them to advance the bigger universe. Yeah. I agree. Oh, well. We'll see what they do. Uh, Last thing I watched was a movie called A Classic Horror Story, which is an Italian Netflix original, which is, uh, in in the description on Netflix, it said Cabin in the Woods meets Midsummer, And I'm like, 
All right, you got me. <laughs> How do you mix those two movies together? <laughs> and uh, guess what? It, guess what? My description of this movie is: it's Cabin in the Woods meets Midsummer. They were exactly right. They nailed their description of it. Um, <laughs> so it starts with um, basically a bunch of people traveling across Italy in like a, it's a motorhome, but it's like a like a rideshare type deal where the one guy owns it and all the other people are like paying him so that he'll drive him across country or whatever. Um, and they all, they all have different places they're trying to get to. There's a couple trying to get to a wedding and whatever else doesn't matter. Um, and he's of course filming this all for his like travel blog that he does. And, uh, basically they get into a car accident one night and when they all go outside to try to figure out what's going on, they're not on the road anymore. Like the tree that they've hit is in the middle of a forest and they're like, what the fuck? Right. So they start hiking. The one guy's injured. So a few of them go off. Like, I think they leave him behind and they find this like creepy cabin with weird paintings on the wall. And the, the leader guy, he's like, Oh, like we've had these legends around here about these weird cults and stuff, but I didn't think any of it was true. But like, what is this place kind of thing? And that's when it kicks off into this like weird like like when I say it's comparable to Midsummer, it's like this cult shows up and they're like sacrificing people and wearing creepy masks and it's like I gotta say like the tension really really works and the just the sort of dark ominous feeling and there's like a scene where the one guy is taken and sacrificed and his friends are all kind of watching from their hiding places and they're unable to do anything about it and it's it's pretty dark and pretty scary. Um, eventually, like <laughs> no, what the fuck are you doing? He just doesn't want to hear about the movie. I'm, I'm blocking. Literally sitting still. Well, it sounds like you're sitting on like a rubber pool floaty, and you keep moving <laughs> and adjusting. <sighs> <laughs> All right, continue on, Doug. Anyways, so then the big twist comes when we get down to like our survivor girl. Um, and that's when we realize that everything they've been doing has been being filmed. And it's basically, it, it, there's no cult. There's no, nothing mysterious going on. This is like all a big, uh, like basically a giant snuff film that they've been making. <laughs> she's, she's the star of it. Um, and yada 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 get without getting into every plot detail it plays out from there but it's a really neat the way it plays out is really fun because you really feel like you're watching this true horror movie and then all of a sudden there is this sudden change and you're like well what like nothing wait a minute like i thought there was something weird and supernatural going on you guys fucked with me and maybe i shouldn't have spoiled it maybe i shouldn't have told you guys that and wait and see what people thought after they watched it but i don't i don't know how to talk about the film without spoiling it um but there are these neat moments where she's like sitting in this trailer and she can see these all these different tvs and it's like all the different spots where things have happened throughout the movie uh, that she thought was all these like weird phenomena and it's like that no, it was just people fucking with her and I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. It's, you know, for like, you know, an hour and a half long horror movie on Netflix. It's, it's quite, it's, it's well worth the watch. The atmosphere works. Performances are hard to judge because it's all dubbed, but 
Um, it's yeah, it's been on my list for a while. I just haven't watched it. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know about it. I just stumbled across it actually today. So I'm like, okay, I'll watch that. <laughs> why not? Sure. And maybe that's part of why I'm like so pleasantly surprised by it is because, you know, an, an Italian Netflix original is not something I anticipate really getting a quality film out of. And it's quite good. And there are some like good, like dark, hard to watch kind of moments where there's like various forms of sacrifice being performed on screen and you're just watching it happen. You can tell they're a little bit low budget on their effects, but they do a good job shooting around it. Well, the specific kill scenes and stuff for if kiss just you'll appreciate those. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, that's it. That's all I watched. So, <clears throat> well, I ended up watching a bunch of shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I watched Mr. Harrigan's phone, which is on Netflix. Uh, it's adaptation of a okay. Stephen King novella. Um, thing I appreciate appreciate about it is that it's a pretty good adaptation of the story. It's pretty close. Okay. Uh, I think what everybody's gonna hate about it is that it really takes ex- ex- really takes takes its time to like tell the story. So you spend the first like 45 minutes like just getting to know people before anything even happens. Okay. Sort of setting everything up. So so an accurate adaptation of a Stephen King story. Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, it totally is. Um, the fact that it's based on a novella is perfect because it's probably probably just all right, what's the next scene in the in the story? And then they just wrote that into the script because it's pretty close. Um, so this kid ends up sort of befriending this old man who lives in town and the old man asks his dad to, uh, he can hire him to come over and read to him because he has a lot of books and stuff, but, um, his eyesight's starting to go, so he can't read anymore. Uh, he's like this, the town, like rich guy, like everybody knows who he is. He has a shit ton of money. Um, so this kid starts to go and read, read for him. They become close and, you know, friends with each other. Uh, the, uh, the kid wants like an iPhone. He's in high, you know, they advance it and then he's in high school. He wants an iPhone and his dad finally buys him one. And he's showing it to, to the old guy and the old guy's like, Oh, that's, that's a giant waste. Why would anybody want something like that? Um, we should also point out that this takes place in like 2010 or whenever the first iPhone started coming out. Mm-hmm. So kid decides, well, I'm going to buy the old man an iPhone so he can start seeing what, like what good use they can be, whatever. So he shows them, he starts teaching them all this stuff. The thing that the old man finds really interesting is you can get uh, up to date, like stock information. So then he sort of falls down a rabbit hole. So he gets, gets like really addicted to his iPhone, 
basically does all the stuff that he said, oh, this is what's going to happen if you continue using an iPhone. And the old man ends up falling prey to it. Um, he ends up dying of like a heart attack or a stroke in the middle of the night. And, you know, the kid's really bummed out and he puts the iPhone in the old man's pocket, like at his funeral, just as like a way to say goodbye to him. And then after he's gone, he like a bunch of shit starts happening. Like the school bully's been like really on his case or whatever. And just a vent, he just calls the old man's phone and leaves a voicemail about how pissed off he is at this kid. And then overnight, the kid, like a bad accident befalls him. He starts getting weird, like text messages from the old man's phone and stuff. And it just sort of kind of goes from there. Like he's found that he can still sort of communicate with the old man. And sometimes bad stuff happens if he's upset about something. And then, you know, it plays out. Um, like I said, I enjoy it because it's such a faithful adaptation because I did like the story. But I know most people who have no sort of uh, connection to the story will watch it and be like, oh, my God, it took forever for shit to happen. And that would be a fair assessment. Um, probably the most interesting thing to me is the old man's played by Donald Sutherland. And I haven't seen him in anything in a long time, so it was just fun watching him being something new. That sounds like it'd be interesting to me. Yeah. Oh, and the kid, when he gets to high school age, is played by the kid who played Bill in the the new It movies. Okay. So somebody that already has Stephen King connection, but yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed it, but like I said, it it draws out, and I I people said they didn't like it. I would completely understand, but that's fine. It's kind of funny that way when you watch these types of things. You're like, I, I understand it was made for a particular audience, and I don't know how to explain that it's it is in fact good without explaining it to people that like you just have to be one of us, you know? Yeah, total. Uh, the next movie I watched was 1966's Django. Okay. The original, the original spaghetti western from Italy. Yeah. Um, this movie opens maybe with one of the most compelling opening scenes I've seen in a movie. And you get this cowboy guy, Django, of course. And it just opens with him walking across the desert, dragging a coffin behind him. Suddenly, I just want to know everything about this character and what the fuck is going on. So it drew me in like right away. Uh, we do eventually find out what's in the coffin, but I'm not going to tell you because I think it's a pretty awesome moment in the movie. And I would recommend everybody watch this. Um, but he rolls into town into this small town and he on the way sees a woman being whipped by like a bunch of, I don't know if they're necessarily soldiers, but these group of guys that work for this, big wig commander that's in the area. And so he basically gets them to stop and then they're all mowed down by somebody else. And 
So she walks with Django into town. He finds her a place where she can stay for the night. And he uh, is doing sort of the Clint Eastwood. I mean, this is totally like a uh, play off the uh, Man With No Name movies. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, he you know stays in a place, gets something to eat. And he finds out that there's sort of like, even though the war is over, that there's still like fighting between the Mexicans and like this local guy who calls himself the commander or whatever. And uh, so he sort of finds a way to sort of play both sides against each other, take care of both of them and try to get like all this, these, this town's like problems to like fix all Fix it so nobody will bother the small town anymore. He's sort of drawn into all this stuff. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Uh, having not seen any of the Django movies except for Tarantino's homage to Django, which is not really close to being what the original Django movies were like. No, I get the impression he just took the name, right? That's oh, totally. what I hear. Yeah, totally. And the song, the song that they played in Django Unchained is the, like the main theme throughout the entire movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's really good. I would highly recommend it. I'm interested in checking out some of the other Django movies, but I've looked and I found that most of them are just like, oh, we made a spaghetti Western. We never said the character's name in it. Just put Django on the, on the title card oh. and people will associate it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. You know how they do in Italy. Well, so. I mean, I suppose it's he's also going up against the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, that's that's one of them. That's the commander. Right. Yeah, that's sort of his group. They're 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 very much into the clan and stuff, but yeah, that's the only like real affiliation they have. They're not affiliated with like the military or anything at that point. I haven't seen it, but somebody, uh, it's on my list to watch probably this month. Um, but it's very much like an Italian spaghetti Western take on the Yojimbo movie from Kurosawa. Or, so, to watch that at some point. Uh, then I went to the theater. And because I had heard that the possibility was this action movie was kind of a just a fun, weird throwback, I went and saw Plane, Gerard Butler, and the guy from Luke Cage. Um, yeah, you you were excited about this one, but I, I was kind of it. excited. I don't know if it's quite like a throwback to like canon type films, but it is a completely just mindless action movie, which I was totally on board with. Um, so Gerard Butler is like a commercial airline pilot and he's, his, his flight path is the, is from like Singapore to Tokyo. That's sort of his like regular, uh, route that he flies. Uh, this night they unexpectedly get somebody from the U S government telling them that they're going to be transporting a fugitive, uh, on the flight. And this is like a New Year's Eve flight, so it's not very full. There's only like 14 people or something in total on the plane. 
Uh, and of course, there's going to be bad weather, which he brings up to like the uh, safety check person who comes and talks with the pilots and you know checks shit off their list. And they're like, "Oh no, it should be fine. Go up to this height over the storm. Like you should be perfectly fine. Won't be a problem whatsoever." Uh, and since it's an action movie named Plane, of course, there's a giant problem. <laughs> Go figure. The plane gets struck by lightning and it fries all of the electrical systems in the plane. Uh, so they determine at some point they're like, oh, shit, like all of our electrical systems are fried, which means we're on the backup battery for the plane, which means we have about 10 minutes left before the plane is going to crash. And turns out, of course, Gerard Butler used to fly in the Royal Air Force or whatever the fuck they have in England. So, of course, he's an excellent pilot and he's able to find a way for them to land on some remote island that they're not even 100% sure what, which one of this since all their instruments are fried. And uh, he's able to land it. Everybody's safe. Uh and then they find out, oh, this is a weird island in the Philippines that apparently is smack dab in between jurisdictions. So, like, the Filipino government doesn't even go to this island. So it's just filled with, like, uh, pirates and uh, rebels and you know, separatists, whatever. So there's really no, like, enforcement of anything. And then they discover, like, oh, shit. I mean, uh, if somebody saw the plane land, of course they're going to come see what's see what it is. Probably kidnap everybody, try to hold them for ransom from the U.S. government or whatever. Uh, which is exactly what happens. And so then it turns out it's up to Gerard Butler and the prisoner who also has military experience to then go in, defeat all the pirates, and save all the hostages who are all the passengers. And it plays out about like you expect, but sometimes, sometimes that's uh, that's all I need in my life. And I went and saw it on a Sunday afternoon, and it was fantastic. Fair enough. Like some of it's completely ridiculous, but again, it's kind of. I what respect I the plot before. point about the plane getting hit with lightning. I think that's a yeah. There's not enough of that in modern cinema. <laughs> just light lightning just hits something and causes so much trouble for no reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It's probably not going to be for everybody. Some people may watch it and be like, well, that's stupid. I'm like, yeah, it was stupid. That's why I liked it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not uh, necessarily a bad thing to be stupid. Like it's no. Uh, the good thing is they bring in this corporate guy like the the airline does. He's like a corporate strategist or whatever the fuck. It's uh, it's the bad guy from Ghost. Tony Goldwyn. <laughs> the bad guy from Ghost. I love it. He uh, And his idea is he sort of knows the region and he's like, oh, fuck. Like, they're going to be fucked. If it's, if it's where I think it is, that's a no-go zone. So the U.S. military is not even going to get involved. The you know, the Philippines government's not going to try to help save anybody. So we're going to have to go outside. And so he calls in like a mercenary team, essentially, to like parachute in. 
Um, and it's weird because it's like those mercenary teams you always see in action movies, but they're usually always the bad guys. Yeah. But this time they're like the good guys. They're like parachute in and help out Gerard Butler and the prisoner guy take on all these pirates and stuff. So it was just like sort of a weird like switcheroo that I was not used to seeing. But it's good. Lots of lots of machine guns, lots of shit blowing up. Um, somebody gets beheaded with a machete. Pretty fantastic. Oh, I like that. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of fun. Uh, it's not on my list, but I know I watched it. I watched a movie called Funhouse. Um, so it's sort of a weird take on like a reality show. Uh, they get all okay. these like uh like z level celebrities and have them go like live in like a real essentially like the surreal life if anybody remembers that show of course i do yeah um they're gonna go live in this this uh house all their movements are recorded um the only disappointing part is it's all made up celebrities i was just kind of hoping it would be just real life like z level celebrities yeah do it um sort of the guy we're following uh he was the backup singer for like a like a britney spears type but maybe not like maybe not like the britney spears style but i mean like how young she is and like sort of how famous she supposedly is in this world yeah um and they ended up falling in love and they got married and uh, they had their own reality show and then you know, they're getting a divorce. And so he's trying to figure out what he's going to do next. He gets booked on the show. He doesn't want to do it, but he goes in anyway. Um, and then once they're in there, essentially like America votes who gets kicked off and who's the most popular for the week. Uh, so they're in there. They're just kind of having fun, goofing around. There's lots of alcohol. Uh, they're getting to know each other. Then the first vote comes in and then, uh, Two of them are tied, so they're like, oh, so you're going to face off in a challenge to see who's going to stay and who's going to go. So they blindfold this girl, and they're like, okay, so this one's called human, This one's called uh, pinata, so we're going to blindfold you, and then you have to bust open this pinata as quickly as you can. And then when you're done, the other guy's going to do it as well, and whoever does it fastest is going to win. Um, so they blindfold the girl and the rest of the house is watching. They're in a special like viewing room. Uh, and then the thing lowers from the ceiling and it's actually the other contestant. She beats the ever living fuck out of him with a baseball bat with nails in it. She doesn't know she's doing it. And so it turns out this is very, a very saw like thing where somebody is taking all these Z level celebrities and having, if they end up losing, they end up getting killed in some weird way. And so, like, every so often, it's like, oh, it's it's voting time again. And, of course, because it's, you know, the Internet, this thing blows up to be, like, insanely popular. And, like, the FBI and stuff can't figure out where it's broadcasting from because, of course, they're bouncing the signal all over. Uh, so, you know, it becomes this, like, oh, shit, like, how are these celebrities going to get out of this? Meanwhile, even each of them keep dying every so often or whatever. 
Uh, it's fun. It's very low budget, though. You can tell they decided to do this because they're like, yeah, we could build like the facsimile of like a reality show house for them to live in on this on this uh, empty warehouse that we have. Just use that as like you know the single location set that they're going to use. Um, but you know, it, it was all right. Had a good, had a fun premise. Like I said, if they would have used real celebrities, that would have been. I think it would have been a lot more fun. And then, uh, yeah, some of the acting is not super great. So, but, yeah, it sounds like a fun idea, though. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Uh, and then the last thing I watched right before we started recording, I finished a movie called Nocturnal Animals. Either one of you seen that before? It came out in 2016. The name rings a bell, but I don't think I've seen it. Like Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Army Hammer before he confessed about dreaming that he was going to eat people, apparently. Uh, so Amy Adams is like this high-end like artist. Like, uh, you know, she's got a lot of money and does whatever, and then High society loves all of her shit, whatever. Uh, it's very much is a uh, rich people being sad that they're rich type movie. Uh, so she's married to Army Hammer. She's not very happy in the marriage. She finds out pretty quickly that he's cheating on her while he's away at a quote unquote business meeting. Uh, and she gets something in the mail, which is a. Uh, manuscript from her ex-husband that she hasn't talked to in like 20 years and her ex-husband is played by jake gyllenhaal and he tells her he like leaves there's like a note in it that said like you helped inspire like this novel that i wrote we find out that they were married and then she left him because she didn't believe in his his uh writing ability because he hadn't really done much and then so he was just sending her this book to like Hey, this is going to come out in a couple of weeks. I'd like to kind of get how you feel about it since you kind of inspired it. And then uh, we, the movie goes, has like three different storylines going on. Um, there's like sort of the story of the book that she's reading. And in it, Jake Gyllenhaal also plays like the main character. So she's like projecting her ex husband into the story as the main character. And then there's her in the present sort of dealing with her that she's unhappy with her life at the moment. And then there's like the storyline, like in the past of how her and her ex-husband met sort of like you follow that along and how it all falls apart. There's way too much going on in this movie. If they just would have focused on like, not even had like sort of the wraparound shit, just the, what the story of the book was. It would be fine. And it's almost a take on the movie, like breakdown where this family is like driving overnight to somewhere in Texas. They were going to, they were going to go stay for a week and a couple of punks and like a muscle car, like start uh, harassing them, like on this quiet road out in the middle of nowhere. And they end up car, their car goes off the road, they end up with a flat tire. The guys get out and say, they're going to help them end up uh, beating him up and then stealing his car with his wife and his daughter in it. 
And then uh, he has to find somebody to call the police. And the police start investigating. And it's about him and him and this cop who's played by Michael Shannon. Uh, sort of doing his Michael Parks from Dust Till Dawn. Which is fantastic. Um, just them trying to like round up the guys who kidnapped his family trying to figure out what the fuck happened and that story's pretty interesting but then it keeps cutting back to amy adams being unhappy in her life just you know some parallels between the story or whatever that you're able to find out and like oh i can see how he was inspired because of how their relationship fell apart blah 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 all this stuff and then stuff in the past that you know sort of cluing all that in but I'm just like, why the fuck is like the three separate storylines going on? So it's okay, but they were to trim it down to just the the uh, the book storyline, it would have been much better. Yeah, it sounds like this whole problem of movies trying to do too much is ongoing and everywhere we look. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, what, what the fuck is happening? But um, I was looking for movies that, for my article of horror movies to watch after Infinity Pool, and I saw someone mention mention this as possibly one that, and I after watching it, I'm like, no, it's nothing like Infinity Pool. I could see the writer connection. I could see rich people just being assholes for because they're rich and feel like they can do shit, but other than that, there's yeah. not a whole lot of uh, there's not a whole lot of comparisons, so I don't know what that person was saying, talking about. Well, you know, listening to other people's suggestions for movies is never a good idea. I don't do it. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. So Noah, what are we doing next week? So speaking of taking other people's suggestions for movies. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, right. That's the theme of our whole month, isn't it? I shouldn't have right. said that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I had to solicit some some more suggestions because, as it turns out, all the suggestions we had left were ones that I have already seen, and I was told not to do that. So, um we're going to be doing two uh, horror movies made in the style of fake documentaries that yeah. both happen to be on Tubi. Uh, Savage oh, Land convenient. and uh, Howard's Mill. We're going to heard of these. I think Savage Land I wanted to see at one point and never did. Not to be confused with Savage Island, hopefully. When they're in it. That movie is god awful. So yeah. Fake fake documentaries. Fair enough, I guess. Do people actually recommend these to you? Or did you have to look them up? Uh, Savage Savage Land was the recommendation, and I just paired it up with uh, Howard Smell since they're kind of 
similar in theme. All right. Cool, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what either one of these movies are, so I, I don't know if to be excited or not. I also don't. I don't. So, like, Savage Land I've at least heard of, and I seem to recall that I wanted to see it, but I don't remember why. And the other one I I plan to consult the list later to double check the title of it before I try to find it to even watch. Um do you remember who suggested Savage Land so that if it's terrible we know who to chastise? Yes. <laughs> it was Jason Krug. Krug? Oh, all right. Well, find out, I guess. You better be right, Jason. You're in trouble. It's on the chopping block if, if you know, we don't like it and then we remember, which is not likely knowing us. So, Eric, Eric suggested Anal Sluts 9. Uh, but I told him, unfortunately, I'd already seen that entire series. Don't just watch number nine. You gotta see all the plot leading up to that. Um, so anybody else excited by this news from AMC theaters? They're going to start charging based on where you sit. It's it's an interesting idea. (laughs) See, my concern with it is that, um, it's, 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 I don't think it's going to affect me because I don't know that AMC owns any of the theaters around here, but, um, like I just I, f- I picture myself going to buy movie tickets and getting stressed out about whether to pay the extra for the better seat and ending up not going because it's too stressful. To <laughs> That's how I see it going for me. Uh, certain movies, I'm obviously going to want the best seats and then I'm going to go to buy them and then they're going to be taken up. Yeah. And then I'm going to be like, well, do I buy the cheaper seats or do I wait for another day? And then other movies would be like, well, I'm automatically getting the cheaper seats because it's not worth it. And then there's going to be that middle ground of just like, I'll be so stressed about it that I'll just end up not doing anything that night. It'd be like trying to find something to watch on Netflix. You know, you just, there's too much on there. So you end up flipping through all night. And then by the time you find something, it's too late to watch it. That's what it'll be like me trying to pick a seat. Right? So. <laughs> and if you have a list, are they going to start blocking the expensive seats from a list? Uh, supposedly a list is not subject to any extra charges. So like for me, I'm fine at the moment. Uh, but as soon as that goes away, uh, I'm canceling my list and I will just go to one of the other multiplexes that doesn't charge for where I sit in the theater because we have five theaters that I could easily drive, drive to in the area and not have to pay that bullshit. It is, it is weirdly a movie theater desert up here. Yeah. Yeah, I was telling them that. So from from where I work in Plainfield, there are like three theaters within driving distance and two of them are at least 10 miles away. And of course, those are the two AMC ones that I have my list for. And then the closer (laughs) one is like downtown Joliet. But I was like, how does Joliet have one movie theater? Springfield has four movie theaters. That seems weird. Yeah, it's really strange. Because yeah, even like Peoria has 
three multiplexes in town. East Peoria has a movie theater. Uh, Pekin has a movie theater. Morton has a movie theater. So, I mean, there's like, yeah, easily enough within driving distance I could drive to. So that's weird. One movie theater for Joliet. Right. Very strange. Uh, movie Pass is back. You can dump your A-list and go with Movie Pass again. Yeah, Movie Movie Pass was so mismanaged last time. I don't want to dick with it. <laughs> well, apparently it's all been revamped. I haven't looked at the revamp rules for use because I'm fine with A-list for the moment. So I'm not even. I did get an email with an invite to to join the beta group. I was like, nah, probably good. I, uh, when I went and saw Infinity Pool, it was a theater I don't go to intentionally because they converted it from like the old style theater to the new style theater with the reclinable seats and stuff. But because they did that, when you recline your seat too far back, you end up with an obstructed view of the screen and it drives me nuts. Oh, um, yeah. But they they sent me like two because I don't go there very often. Like I don't have an account. I guess I or I do have an account, but I it I wasn't I didn't have to like log into it to buy a ticket. But they sent me like two emails. One was like trying to get me to sign up for their like points program to try to get, and then the other one was a survey where they asked if I enjoyed my experience or not. So like I'm like yeah, if you read my survey, you know I'm not signing up for your program because I've like not only was I. Cause I don't know why, but when I get surveys, it's my excuse to just like vent. So not only was I saying like, no, I didn't really enjoy my experience, but it was like, I specifically referenced things like the other cinema does better. And I'm named the other cinema. I'm like, they don't, they don't charge an online booking fee. You do. So I'll go to see them, even you know, and they don't have obstructed views and you do. So. Yeah. Movie theater, get your shit together. Made me feel really important by doing that. So, big man, big podcaster, shaming the local it's, theater. It's my ability to complain about Cineplex without having to actually talk to any of the people. Especially since when I come out of the theater, there's no one there to talk to anymore. <laughs> Let's go to the movies too late at night. Do you live by the Seaway Cinemas? I assume that was intended for Noah. No, that was for you. Seaway Cinemas? Yeah. I don't know what that is. I've never heard that word before. Uh, on uh, Film Junk, they talk about it a lot. They live up close in the same general area as you. I couldn't remember how close they live to, to where you live. Oh, we have... Uh... Cineplex, which is kind of the traditional movie theaters that have been around a long time. Landmark, which is a newer one yeah. that's come along. And then the screening room is our art house cinema. So, Just two of the hosts have an argument about the Seaway Cinema, so I didn't know how close it was. And, and one of the arguments is about the reclining seats. So, so it's, It could be that they're like, it is the same thing where it's an older theater that's been um that it's um, an older, like they tried to retrofit it and it doesn't really work. Although I Googled it and it's Seaway Mall Cinemas is also a Cineplex Odeon, which is the same one I'm complaining about. So it's like oh, the same problem. Okay. 
Well, their complaint, well, one of them's complaint is that they recline, but when you go to recline, the back doesn't really recline. So the little footrest just comes up. So then they're complaining that you're basically sitting at a 90 degree angle for the entire movie and it's highly uncomfortable. That would be uncomfortable. Yeah. So I just didn't know if it might be the same one. So I thought that it sounds like it it sounds like the, yeah, it is the same problem is my guess. Interesting factoid for nobody except for me, apparently. So that's fine. No, there you go. Uh, all right. I don't know where we're going to end it. Well, it did somewhere in there. <laughs> or just right here. That's fine. Or- Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.